podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com. That's right, some more ETL Witcher book club. We're here to talk about book four, but novel number two of The Witcher, The Time of Contempt by Andrzej Sapkowski. I think fourth I just... book, fourth episode, yay! <laughs> yes, we're actually doing a fourth book episode, Ross. I am the I'm Jaystrom. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> yes, I'm the Jaystrom. This is Ross. We're here talking about books, man. Hey, they've been very popular for a very long time. Yeah, people should read books. It's fun. (laughs) That's great advice. (laughs) Well, we're here to talk about The Time of Contempt. And an alternate title for this book should be The Shit Hits the Fan. I was thinking a great alternate alternate title would be It Gets Serious. Uh, get it? <laughs> I wanted to us? get my horrible pun out of the way so it doesn't distract us later. Nope, that that works. It does get very serious. Yeah, or as I like to also call it, the Empire Strikes Back of this series. Ah, nice. Okay. Yes, I, you could call it that. I've never been more confused at the end of a book, I think. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. It did not go, to, in classic fashion of this series, it did not go down the road I was expecting it to. I will say this, I think that we consumed this book quicker than the, any of the other ones. At least it seems that way to me. Yeah, I'm kind of wondering if as we go along with this series, if the time it takes for us to read them goes quicker and quicker, just because we're kind of intrigued as to see what happens. Yeah, I think also, you know, I've trained myself into reading again, <laughs> you know, like just <laughs> sitting down and like turning everything off so I can just concentrate on the book and like consuming it faster. Like when I read The Last Wish, I, you know, I'm like, okay, uh, let me see if I can remember how to read a book kind of thing. I, yeah, you're like using your finger like to to track the words was you don't yeah. have to do that anymore. Yeah, I'm mouthing all the sentences. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let me see what's on Twitter right here in between pages, you know, just stuff like that. Yeah, I get it. I totally understand. With with me in this one, I found that during my first listen, I, and I know I've said this kind of before, I just feel like I'm consuming. I'm not even like savoring anything. You know, because I'm just like so interested to see what happens and I miss so many details just because I'm like, okay, what happens to these characters? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I I understand exactly what you mean because I was just like, okay, let's do this. Come on. Tell me what happens. Tell me a story, Andre Sapkowski. Yes. (laughs) And uh, we've, you know, we got some things that we'd been looking forward to, but I didn't get enough. I want more 
for instance? Yeah, I, I, I totally come away with it feeling the same way. I mean, I'm not trying to knock the book at all. I really, really like the book. I enjoyed it. But I, I was, like, the entire time I've been craving those moments between Geralt and Yennefer and, and Ciri, and we get a glimpse of it, but we don't quite get mm. what I was hoping for. Yeah, like... We get them all in one place, but we don't get it the way we want it. We don't want them to sit around and have... We want them to sit around and have conversations and talk, but we don't get that. We get kind of... No, I, what what I want is, like, very sappy Hallmark moments for, like, three quarters of the book and then some, you know, bad things to happen a little bit, but not too bad. And that's definitely not what happens Yeah, me, me too. Me as well. In fact, you know, we get a, a, a quick taste of dandelion in siri but it wasn't enough in my book i'm like that wasn't enough yeah exactly i'm gonna write this guy and give him a piece of my mind we get siri reuniting with Geralt, just and we don't get to see his reaction to it it cuts it basically like if it's a film it cuts away to another scene and i'm like well i want to see what happens there you know <laughs> yeah well did, did you feel kind of the way that i did is that Geralt almost seems like a secondary character in this book. Yeah, yeah. There isn't a lot of Geralt in this book. And uh, I was fine with that. I don't mind uh, Siri taking a lead. Uh, but at the same time, I, you know, I guess there's certain things that I want. And you know how you hear that term, don't give the readers what they want, at least not yet. I have a feeling that's what's happening. Like, we're going to get what we want eventually, but it's not going to happen yet, okay? Yeah, but that's, like, not uh, what I want to hear as a reader. I just want everything I want, and I want it now, Jason. Yeah, I want it all now, and I... (laughs) Exactly. And uh, another thing is, I solved the mystery of Dandelion, Oh, yes, that's right. I forgot all about that. By looking at You did P- some excellent sleuthing. Yeah, I looked at Peter Kenny's Facebook page where someone had asked him about Dandelion and he said and it was funny, it was a guy named Jason. And he actually says, Hi Jason, no worries. Dan- <laughs> Dandelion comes up as a lot, as you may guess. Basically in the first two books I recorded it was spelled Dandelion. So I pronounced it that way. Subsequently, there was a change of translator, and it was altered to Dandelion. By the time we had established the other pronunciation, and the producer felt we should keep it that way, because that had been what we'd been doing, and for consistency's sake. However, the outcry and virtual death threats I received from outraged fans of the games, (laughs) the books predate the games, and I was asked to focus on them and ignore the game, it was decided that for the rest of the books in the series, we should revert to the traditional pronunciation of Dandelion. However, as the books were recorded out of sequence, governed by the order they were translated in, it appears that the pronunciation jumps around. Eventually, it's going to be Dandelion again. (laughs) You know, these items. Two thoughts. First of all, I want to know how the conversation went when they decided to change it over. And if the idea of him getting death threats was brought up, you know, like if he decided to change the uh, the translation out of fear for his life, because yeah. that's, that's uh, a little insane. Yeah, somebody's going to kill me, man. We got to pronounce it dandelion. But we at least we know now it's just because of a translation thing of the guy originally translated dandelion. And then now it's Dandelion. So when you hear it in the audiobook, or you're just like, whatever, it just 
Yeah. Well, the other thing is, is I don't want to just glance over the fact that the person who asked him about this is Jason. I'm sorry. I don't think that it's another Jason. I think it's you. And there's some sort of weird time space thing going on because that is too much of a coincidence for me. Yeah, it's weird. And I posted it on Facebook like, hey, guys, check this out. And it looks like I'm posting my interaction with Peter Kenny. Like, he was gracious enough to answer my question here. That's, what it <laughs> That's just me. how I'm going to reference it in my mind. <laughs> so funny. But at least we know now. Let's get started in the book. So the book begins with, I pronounce his name, Applegat. Applegat. He was Applegat, according to Peter Kenny. Okay, Applegat. He is a, uh, a messenger. And uh, it kind of talks about how messengers, they're kind of died out. They're not needed anymore because they get messages through by the use of magic and wizardry, sorcerers. But now is a time where the kings don't exactly trust these people. So they're going back to the old way of uh, using messengers like Applegat. And the problem is there's Scoia'tael everywhere. That's one thing that... You know, the beginning of this stuff happened in Blood of Elves, and now the Scoia'tael are attacking pretty often. You know, it's... You gotta be careful. They're out there, right? Yeah, it just makes me wonder how many of them are there, because it didn't seem like there were that many in the um, in the last book, in the Blood of Elves, but it yeah. really kind of seems like they're absolutely everywhere now. Remember the story Edge of the World in The Last Wish? where it kind yes. of talked about the elves went to go live in the in the mountains. Well, it sounds like they've all come down and they're all in the woods now hiding out, you know. Well, yeah, it's it's what we were thinking about with um when we made the joke about the book being called Philavandril's Revenge. It's like the the elves are here now and they are uh not very happy. Yeah, it kind of sounds like you predicted what was going to happen. And that's another thing I wanted to bring up. Because I've realized now that we're in the fourth book, it's that Andre Subkovsky knows how to tease shit early. Boy, does he. He can tease stuff, and we don't necessarily know what he's talking about. But then three books later, it's like, oh, I remember him mentioning this. Like, yeah. uh, Toraville and Philavandril, like, there were minor characters in a short story in the first book and now boom here they are and it's like whoa i know who they are you know there is stuff mentioned in this book like about falca who i'm not yeah necessarily don't know a lot about her but i have a feeling that we're going to learn much more as it goes on so i've almost trained myself reading these books to be like i'm not quite understanding this but you know what i'm just gonna keep going because i'm sure it'll i'm along for the ride yeah do you feel that way too? Like, I, yeah, I definitely do. What's funny is uh, this guy Applegat. He's going through his head on different messages he's received, such as uh, S uh, Princess Cirilla is dead, and then he runs into Siri like she's just waking up and stretching, like, oh, you know, like. And he's like, hello. Well, the, man. The, the funny thing about that is like that, that I was wondering. Is Yennefer and Siri keep referring to each other as Yennefer and Siri? Like people know that they're together. I'm like, why aren't you guys using fake names? Yeah, why aren't you, as in raising Arizona, use code names? That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm like, like I, I was kind of anxious and worried about the whole thing. Yeah, she's even like Siri, come on, like she's yelling for her, and I'm like, aren't 
isn't Siri supposed to be dead right now? And you're <laughs> Siri, to you're not in Sintra anymore. Come yeah. on. <laughs> Siri, if I was like your grandmother, Calanthe, I would come over there with a switch. <laughs> exactly. It's like, wait. I'd give you a piece of my mind. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like, exactly. guys, we're on the down low here, man. Yeah, I was kind of wondering a little bit about that. But luckily, Applegat is totally in his head, and he doesn't, it doesn't even click in his head who he's just run into. He even notices, you know, a beautiful woman with her raven black hair ringlets in her face and he's just like oh wow you don't see someone that beautiful on the trail this often oh well you know uh let me... <laughs> yeah exactly it's like dude that's yennefer and that's siri right there he's like no 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 i have some no messages. no they are dead they are very much dead <laughs> and she even says she runs into him and she goes into one of her trances and tells him to beware of uh the gray feathers or wolf you know, something bad's going to happen. She's warning him of impending death, and he's just like... Well, didn't you, like, just kind of feel like impending death was coming for him when he was so polite to Siri? I'm like, this is the first stranger we've ever seen be polite to anyone. I was like, oh, he's doomed. Yeah, and I even told you... No, maybe that was some other characters, but I have this thing I do in a in the books now where I'm like... Oh, this character seems very nice and jolly. I hope he, tur- you know, stays for the entire length of the series. You know, it'll be great. And then he's due. Well, it was nice knowing you. <laughs> yeah, it was nice knowing you. And then it cuts to uh, Geralt visits his buddies, Code Ringer and Fen. And I believe he's a lawyer, right? Yeah, he was a lawyer. It was kind of like. Uh... Almost kind of felt like the wolf from Pulp Fiction, the way they described him. He was just kind of the guy that gets problems solved. And this is so funny to go from the way I read something and then listening to the audiobook. Because I'm like, oh, Code Ringer and Fan, Code Ringer. He uh, coughs a few times or whatever. But then I listen to the audiobook and he's like, Geralt! (laughs) (laughs) He sounds like he's talking from an iron lung. It's crazy. I was like, Jesus, this makes my lungs hurt listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. And I was just like, oh, my God, how long until this scene's over? He actually made it painful to listen to. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I'm kind of wondering if he had to rest his voice after that, because that was pretty horrible. I, he had like five mugs of hot tea or something. Yeah, exactly. But there's you know quite a bit of information at the beginning of this book with Code Ringer talking to Geralt and Geralt doesn't believe Fen is actually a real guy. It's just like a fake name, you know, kind of like Ribbington Steel. You know how it was really the girl working for Remington Steel, but he does. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And Pierce Brosnan. Wow, I should not have dropped that reference. That, that, that was a a deep one. I, I kind of remember that, but uh, yeah, yes, you're right, Jason. I was like, Code Ringer and Fen, come on. Remington Remington Steel. Steel. There we go. It's like, yeah, real good one. So I started thinking that in my head, and I was thinking, oh, Code Ringer and Fen, awesome PI team. You know, they're private investigators. But in reality, he's a lawyer, right? Yeah. Uh, But anyway, but I digress. (laughs) He has all this information about Siri. Hey, we've got this great idea. We've got a Siri stand-in. Let's fool them into thinking this girl is actually Siri, and uh, we'll have her be captured by the Nilfgaardians. And I love how Geralt's like, oh, this is a terrible idea. 
first of all, yeah, I, it, I also like the idea that they were just trying to like spread false. They're they're kind of trying to come up with anything they can to um, you know throw the Nilf Guardians off of her trail and, and basically uh, make her claim to the throne illegitimate. Yeah, and uh, I love that you know Geralt's thinking about like. Well, if they want to kill Siri, they'll take this girl who's not Siri and kill her. I'll feel just terrible. But these guys don't seem to be bothered by that, it seems. <laughs> they don't seem to be bothered by much in terms of morality. But one bit I want to get to, he talks about Rienz, or Yeah, we're, let's not go through that again. I'm just going to no, say Rienz. It's fine. Rienz, uh, he talks about how he was a failed sorcerer. He was expelled for stealing. He was also imprisoned in Sintra because he owed quite a bit of money. Then somebody anonymously paid off all of his debts. We have no idea who that is. But here's the bit where I didn't think about till later and went back and reread it. It says that Rience killed a river family looking for Siri. And I was like, wait a second. Yurga. Oh no! His really? Wife and his two sons. I didn't even think about that, and that just goes back into my idea of people who are polite in this world are doomed because they were great. They were like the only other people in this book that actually, or in these books that actually seemed somewhat, uh, you know, nice. And uh, I didn't. I did not even think about that. It also thanks a lot, Jason. It also said he took a druid and tortured and killed him. Uh, Are they talking yeah. about Malsack there? Probably. I mean, see, this is exactly what I'm saying about me just consuming these books, because that, that totally went over my head, even through two listens. And yeah, that uh, that's painful. So I'm hoping that was just another druid, but Malsack just got away in time. But could he have tortured and killed Malsack? No, it couldn't be. I mean, the, the thing is, is uh, Ryan seems like he, he he seemed like he was the big bad in the last book. But from their description of him, it almost seems like he's kind of a bit of a loser almost in terms of his backstory. So I can't believe that that Malsack would um, yeah. succumb to him. I kind of, you know, I don't know a lot about Malsack, but I like to think that he can take care of himself, you know. Exactly. I, I would think that if he was under the employ of Calanthe for so long, uh, that he would, you know, be a little bit tougher than that. But who knows? I mean, you know, the, the characters that we like in this book seem to come and go so easily. Uh, it, maybe, it could have been. Maybe it's Malsack's roommate, Ratbag. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's him. Hopefully. <laughs> I'm going to cross my fingers. What, Ratbag? <laughs> Ratbag. Oh, rat bag. Okay. Yeah. So he's like, "Are you Mousesack? No, I'm rat bag. I'm Close rat bag. enough. Grabs him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It sounds. <laughs> I've never understood the name Mousesack. <laughs> yeah, Mousesack and rat bag. That's a, you know, I, I'd love to see that sitcom. It turns out druids all have ridiculous names like that in this world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, that's why there's so few of them. It's not that people don't want to <laughs> actually have the power that they do. They just can't stand the ridicule of their names. It's like, this is Breadbox, and this is another <laughs> druid. His name is Tupperware. You know, they yeah. actually have, you know, <laughs> Moldy Tupperware. Yeah, it just goes on and on like that. Mm -hmm. So, of course, in these books, there's always a bit of humor, too. And one thing that I'm not sure it was supposed to make me laugh. This book was written in the 90s. 
But when Geralt is introduced to Finn, it repeatedly, I told you about this, it repeatedly refers to him as Midget. Yeah, that's true. I was actually going to stop recording these podcasts with you because I was so (laughs) offended. (laughs) Well, here's the thing that confused me. There are dwarves in this world and there are halflings in this world. And I was like, well, why is it referring to this guy as a midget if there are dwarves and halflings? And I figured out because he's human and he's missing his legs and he's short. So I guess in this world, short humans who aren't dwarves and halflings are midgets. Exactly. So see. So it's, uh, it's not offensive because it's part of this world. Yes, it's not offensive. And Code Ringer and Finn, by the way, love those characters. Hope they stick around for the entire series. Totally agree. <laughs> One bit that I love is that uh, Code Ringer says, What do you think of this painting here on this wall, this portrait? And Geralt's like, Looks like an idiot. And he's like, It's my father. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was great. And he even pulls out like a throwing star and goes, <laughs> Like into his well, yeah, that picture. that was like pretty sweet. You know, I didn't. I, it was like totally of the '90s to, to throw ninja stars in there because you know we don't yeah. get a whole lot of ninja star action anymore. But that that uh, yeah, I'd like to get some of those. And I love that he's like, it's called an Orion, an Orion star. Here, would you like some? I'll sell you some. And girls like, no, they're too noisy. I would hear them coming. And he's like, no, you wouldn't. He's like, and there's there's a whole deal here with how much he's charging Geralt. And Geralt wants to know more about the Elder Blood and the prophecy. Could he dig into that? And he's like, yeah, for 500. And he's like, whoa, whoa, I don't have that. And he goes, tell you what, if you turn away and I could throw this star at you. <laughs> I don't remember. Is it uh, Geralt who comes up with this or him? He says that- it was Geralt, I believe. He, he was the one that uh, that threw the idea out there and, and um Code Ringer is saying, you know, nah, you're gonna you're, you're gonna chicken out. He's like, no, I'm not. He's like, you're gonna move. And he's like, no, if you throw it and hit me, then uh, I'll pay you. <laughs> or whatever. It was kind of like that scene at the end of Ernest Goes to Camp, where you know, like, uh, do you remember this at all? Where he's <laughs> the guy's like trying to shoot him with the gun, and he just stands there and then plugs the barrel with his finger. I got those total vibes in this scene. What's funny is it reminded me of a scene much like that from Braveheart, where they're much doing... better than Ernest Goes to Camp. <laughs> I must say they're doing the rock game, and William Wallace says, "If you throw this boulder at my head, I won't move." And he's like, "He'll move," and he can't quite get it far enough. And then William Wallace pegs him right in the forehead with a tiny rock. I just want to point out how much better your analogy is than mine, but anytime I can bring up Ernest Goes to Camp, I do because I think it's a forgotten gem. You get a plus 10 for that. Uh, Thank you. They did save Camp Kikaki at the end of it, so, you know. Awesome. So, anyway, Geralt doesn't have to move because Code Ringer doesn't actually throw it at him. But he also warns him that there is a professor and two assassins on the trail, and they're getting close to Yennefer and Ciri. Well, the other thing we, we need to, to point out is he also, um, you know, basically says to Geralt that he will find all the information and everything that he wants if Geralt will come and look for him or, or come and work for him. And I'm just kind of wondering what that would entail, him working for him, because it seems to me like he probably would treat Geralt just like everybody else does and want him to be a hitman. Yeah. Or I was thinking, you know, how private investigators will work with uh, lawyers Yes. I was thinking when the whole series is over, a series of detective novels start coming out. Ooh, sweet. Yeah. 
I would totally read Geralt detective stories, wouldn't you? I, oh, yeah, definitely. So if uh, Andre Subkovsky is not sure what to do with the character now, I could say, hey, detective novels, hello. But uh, I don't know what's going to happen further in the series. Maybe this happens. Kind of like Remington Steel, right? <laughs> yeah, see, I'm back on the Remington Steel. <laughs> yes. I have the theme in my head. It popped into my head. Also, we can't forget that they start talking about series lineage and like does she and it's so funny i hear this now in my head like well series bloodline I just, <laughs> hear that guy's did voice. it really change the uh, the way that that it sounded to you yeah i was just like oh god <laughs> i hurt again i need i need a pseudofed or something but he essentially they don't know where series father's line is and Geralt says well dooney said he was from these areas and they're like well that's part of Nilfgaard could he have been Nilfgaardian and could he have been part of royalty and Fen is looking and he goes no 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 he's got like a whole list there of all the people the king like all of his bastards and stuff I think it's pretty well kept documents yeah yeah he um Fen really kind of I just kind of wondering how he gets all of his research done like, does he have people coming in and talking to him? Or is this all that he's gathering from just these, this giant library yeah. that they seem to have? That was cool because they kind of had like a hidden library there. And Geralt's just like, holy shit, you know, it's pretty impressive here with this little midget guy. Should I be saying that? And they're like, Jason, <laughs> he's a man who's small. He's a <laughs> he's a tiny man. And I love Finn. He's going to be a great character later on in the books, right? Exactly. I can't wait for his crossover with uh, Torqua. <laughs> so I, that was a good kind of uh, exchange there at the beginning of the book. And uh, it ends with him basically warning him that there are some guys on their way tracking Yennefer and Siri, And that brings us back to Applegat, who stops at an inn to eat and rest his horse. You know, I, I don't know what it is about these books, but they... they um... They give you giant chunks of exposition and dialogue that you normally would kind of like if you were, say, watching the movie and they were having this big conversation just discussing what was going on. You'd kind of roll your eyes a little bit. But in the books, you don't get that. I don't get that feeling at all. I am like so intrigued by these conversations that he's having, like where we find out big chunks of information just like as they're discussing it that. I don't know, just way more satisfying. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I love when he doesn't he doesn't say and the wind the witcher entered. He'll say Applegat looked up and he saw a man with white hair and he was kind of taken aback by the man's white hair, long white hair, and you're like, Oh, that's Geralt, you know. <laughs> but I didn't make that connection at all. I thought it was just an elderly man. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, Geralt, I was so confused. Geralt comes up to Applegat and he's like, hey, uh, you should probably leave here. He sees that he's like this royal messenger. And he and it's funny because it kind of goes into how Applegat is harassed quite frequently by people like, hey, where are you heading? And he's like, well, I'm not at liberty to discuss that with you. And if you have any kind of problem, I have a sword here kind of a thing. And uh, Geralt's just like, you should leave. And he goes, well, I have to rest my horse, sir. And he's like, okay, well... Whatever you do, do not leave this tavern. And then he leaves. And sure enough, the professor with his uh, spectacles, I think it said like these turquoise blue lenses or something. 
shows up with these two assassins. And uh, what was Peter Kenny's voice for like these guys? Did he do the? It was you. You get the like the head jerk voice. You know, we've seen it before, where it's like you get the 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 um, the stupid dopey jerk who's like you know usually talking about rape and stuff like that and then you get like the smart calculating jerk and this was definitely the smart calculating jerk voice yeah and i loved uh, when they look outside and they see in the distance Geralt standing there and Geralt's like there's two things that can happen here you can come out tell me who hired you and you can leave or the three of you can come out and we'll just see what happens, basically. <laughs> well, didn't they describe uh, these guys as being worse than the guys that he faced in the last book? And it really seemed like he made pretty quick work of them. Yeah, yeah. Those brothers, assassins, who weren't ready to fight a witcher, these guys are like, they don't seem like they really want to entangle with the witcher, but they're very well trained in the arts of the sword. And... Uh, I kind of love the way this scene is written because they all run out there, but it doesn't describe the action. It's from Applegat's point of view. Or he, hear, he hears loud clangs and grunts and screams. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, they just hear the people in there hear Geralt killing them. And even the last guy's coming back in the end to, to get away and a sword like thunks in his back like it's thrown at him. Is what it felt like. At first, I wondered, like, oh, does he have one of those Orion stars? Did Geralt just throw Oh, that would have been awesome. Yeah, but uh, I think he just threw a sword at him. But That's like, still pretty cool. Oh, Ninja <laughs> Star to the spot. I really wanted to be the Ninja Star guy when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. You know? I was fascinated by Ninja Stars. I thought they were such a cool idea. Yeah, like one of the guys like down the street, you know, the, the, the kid who probably is on drugs now, like he had some, you know, and yeah. I just uh, I wanted to be. Were there like uh, like nicks out of every wall in his house? <laughs> yeah. No, I don't, I don't remember that, you know, like in the I back just, of his door. I would just be walking down the hall and just whip one out, <laughs> throw it down the hallway into the wall. Yeah, exactly. I think there's a I'm reason. getting some. There's a reason our parents didn't buy us throwing stars, I think, when we were kids. Yeah. They're like, yeah, you'll just throw it at your sibling. <laughs> exactly. I wanted that and legit nunchucks, but, you know, I just, a what guy can dream, I guess. funny about this also with Geralt is uh, he wants to know who this is that's after Siri. We have some good guesses based on Blood of Elves. We knew that Riance is Riance. <laughs> He's working for either Vilgaforts, that one guy who seemed pretty sketchy, and also Emhir Var Emris of Nilfgaard. It's either one of those two guys, I guessed. Yeah, I think so. I think he's probably working with Emhir Var Emrys, which I must say, like now that we've gotten into this book, I am very confident pronouncing that name. Last time I was not at all, but yeah, Emhir yeah. Var Emrys. Um, I, I really think that he's working for him. I mean, they 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 basically say it, right? Yeah. Well, actually, what, here's what I think it is: it's Emhir Var Emrys. He's in an uneasy alliance with Vilgaforts, and Riance is working for Vilgaforts. Oh, okay, that makes sense. I, I could see that. And so uh, Vilgaforts, we'll find out later on. I'm kind of, kind of jumping ahead here, but I'm just trying to keep it all. The Scoyatel are basically doing what M. Hervar M. M. Uh, I just lost it, dude. M. Hervar Emrys? 
Yes, uh, they're doing what he wants. They're basically following his lead, his orders. So Applegat arrives and he delivers a message to Dykstra. And Dykstra basically tells him that call off the fake attack, you know, that they're doing to lure Nilfgaard into attacking them and starting a war. He warns Applegat that Nilfgaard knows that there is an entire army. So they have a Nilfgaardian army waiting for them to... Remember what they were going to do is like, uh, I think, Vizimir and Foltest. And then they had this idea to kind of incite the Nilfgaardians to attacking. Then they could say, hey, they're attacking us. We no longer have a truce. We're going to attack them. But in reality, Nilfgaard is just waiting there with an entire army for them to do that very thing. So their plans have leaked out. So he says, hey... Well, I don't even know if their plans leaked out. It just seems to me like Emkirvar Emrius is like uh, two or three steps ahead of the king's uh, than than they would like to believe because they don't yeah. seem like they really are the best uh, tactical minds. They have a lot of leaks, it seems. Also, you know. Yeah. And uh, so he says, "So tell them do not attack." So Applegat is on his way, and I even love there's a bit where he's like, "Well, do you mind if I rest, sir, first? Because you know I'm really tired." And uh, Dykstra's like, uh, "I should punch you in the face for saying that. You need to go." Yeah. And he's like, all right. So he heads off. And it's funny because it says he has like this stinging pain in his back. And he kind of feels back there. There's nothing there. But he's wondering why his back hurts in this one spot. And Siri told him that to watch out for gray feathers or whatever. So we get to see Toraville, who we haven't seen since the edge of the world in The Last Wish, which seems a long time ago. It does. It seems ages she's there with another uh, two more elves and one is a an elf named Yavin who's very excited about his something pound bow i forget what it is it's like this giant bow with like did it say a 30 foot arrow or something i think i'm exaggerating <laughs> yeah i don't think it was quite that large but yes it was some massive oh i know i said foot it's a 30 inch arrow i think okay a right. 30 foot arrow would be great <laughs> it's a javelin yeah. <laughs> it's like this giant ballista he's carrying <laughs> well i love toraville's like hey let's let's not kill this guy just let him go we don't want to get some troops over here searching the area and he goes no 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 i got this and he just like pulls back and goes, and sure enough applegat funk right into his back drops dead yeah just i mean tossed away like a bag of old moldy tangerines i mean he just he's no longer part of our our world and i enjoyed him as a character it's sad to see him go and you know what? The arrow had gray feathers on it. So uh, Siri warned him, right? He's yeah. just a little too proud of his career job. Yeah, he definitely was. I think he was a little overconfident in his position in the king's service. <laughs> yeah, he, he needed to move on to something else. It was outdated. True. So Siri and Yennefer arrive to uh ah shit i thought i i somewhere in my notes is where they arrived to <laughs> i'll get there <laughs> do you remember where they arrived to 
I, I'm not sure what the name of the town was. I forget what it, it was. Oh, man, what was it's it? It's right so- outside of Thaned Isle. Yeah, I don't remember. One one thing I did want to bring up before, and I'm, I I forget quite as to where this was, but it describes um, Geralt, like, what, what he's been doing. And it said that, like, he, uh, he had to go kill a werewolf that he... Um, do you remember that where where it was like he he killed a werewolf that like didn't put up a fight and he just kind of felt sorry for it he like backed yeah. it into a cave Yeah, I do. And also I can I can't believe I forgot this the beginning part with Applegat he's kind of like riding along the road and all of a sudden all there's this backup like a traffic jam of wagons and then he's like, "Hey, what's going on here?" and he's like Oh, this mighty beast down there blocking the way, and uh, I forget what it was. It was like a a griffin or something. I thought it was a basilisk, but maybe I, I'm wrong. Yeah, it was something like that. And he's like, "There was a witcher here, and uh, they're gonna have him take care of it." And he's like, "Really, a witcher here?" And he's kind of fascinated by it. And it's Geralt, and he does handily take care of it. And it's funny because they always make note that how underpaid Geralt is for his services. People lowball <laughs> yeah, exactly. Him. They always lowball him, which I think is hilarious. Poor Geralt. I know. Well, it's like he's such a deadly, um, you know, just a deadly person. And then, you know, they always want to, like, nickel and dime him, which is just, I don't think I would do that, seeing as how he dispatched a, a basilisk or whatever it was so easily. Get this, Yennefer and Siri arrive at Gors Velen. Gors Velen, that's correct. They're there to see her banker friend, Giancardi, who's a dwarf. But before they get there, there are a bunch of dead elf carcasses on display, and it's really disgusting. Yennefer's like, ugh. <laughs> you know, she's like, this is nasty. And uh, Siri's pretty grossed out, too. And she just wants to know, why are we here? And she's like, I told you. We're here for a reason, and uh, you don't need to know much more than that. And I love it. Really, it really seems like just touching on that, um, uh, on the whole idea of the, them, you know, parading the corpses around or whatever, is that it really seems like the racial tension in this book is amped up quite a oh, bit. Oh yeah, it's it's bad. It's a time it of is contempt. Bad. <laughs> yeah, almost as if it were some sort of time of contempt, even. Yeah. By the way, how many times do we read "Time of Contempt" in this book? Quite a few. Like I do. You like I don't know if that's if that is a term that is thrown around for times, uh, you know, when, when you're right on the brink of all-out war, or if that's just you know it's in the air somewhere. It's not as bad as like you know when you're watching a movie and in the movie they say the name of the movie and you're just like ah you just did it. I guess in yeah. books it's not as bad when they do that. Because they said Blood of Elves a few times in Blood of Elves. (laughs) (laughs) Now that I think about it. Oh, there's this great part here where Yennefer's like, hold on, Siri, before we go any further, I need to uh, apply a bit of makeup on. And she has a mirror floating in front of her. And Siri's just kind of like, whoa. And she pulls out this stuff. They call it Glamourai. And it smells like lilac and gooseberries, and she puts it on her face, and all of a sudden she looks like gorgeous, you know, like stunning. And which is like, weird because I thought that she was already gorgeous and stunning anyway. I think it's even more she is, but it like makes it where you can't take your eyes off of her, like she's glowing or something. Gotcha. And I thought it was funny that Siri's like, "Ooh, do me next," and she's like, "No, put your hat back on. You need to be unnoticeable." 
no one needs to even look at you. And Siri's just like, oh. And so, sure enough, everyone's like, right this way, ma'am. And they don't even notice Siri. I thought that was pretty funny. And when they're in this bank with Gene Cardi, I don't know why, but I'm just, I always love when somebody reads a book in the Witcher universe and they hand her this physiologist book. Uh, it's a yeah, well, it just it, it, it makes you feel like the world is complete when you're going to the level of detail that like that he he does and to the point of where we're actually dipping into literature from the world. It just makes you feel like you're in that world when you go to that level of detail. Physiologists, I think, is the book. Yeah, I think that's really cool. And how she's looking at different monsters and stuff. And of course, she's fascinated by it. And I love, do you ever notice whenever she kind of brings up that she's a witcher, kind of, you know, if her just kind of scoffs at it, like, that's nah, not yeah. what's going to happen. You're not going to be a witch. And they, she even says that, like, you're, she's basically going to enroll her in this school for, sor- to be a sorceress, to be an enchantress. She doesn't want Siri to be a witcher at all. And Ciri's kind of just picks up from conversations with Giancardi what's going on because Yennefer never tells her anything. And I love the bits here and there where she mentions Geralt and Geralt's working on a farm near there. Hirundin, I think it's called. And they're not really paying him very well. And hey, maybe slip him some some money. And she's like, no, he doesn't take handouts. Well, well, he doesn't need to know. He would just know they gave him a raise or whatever. I thought that was yeah. kind of funny. And she basically, you know, sets up the school. What would you call it? The school fee? Her- I, I, oh, yeah. Tuition. Yeah. And she uh, gives money, a donation to Melitola, which I thought was very nice and kind of her. And apparently it seems like Jennifer has plenty of money, too, doesn't it? She's well yeah, it definitely does. It also seems like she's held in quite high regard by Giancardi. Yeah, something that she did for his family once, and he's in debt to her, he says. And he doesn't even want to charge her interest, even though she won't hear of it, and he won't hear of it, so they kind of go back and forth. And he kind of Well, he also him. refers to Geralt as, you know, he says, a certain witcher who I consider family. You know, I, I don't know much about this character, but it's, you know, you, you just want to get a little bit more into the backstory of these characters. Yeah, and I also, I love that there is backstory like that. Like, oh, they know Geralt, he's good friends, something Geralt did for him in the past, Yennefer's good friend. You know, I like that they, you know, we kind of established that in Blood of Elves. You can't trust anybody, but at least they have their little confidants and you know, uh, allies laying around. Well, it also, it also speaks to the nature of how like prideful Geralt is in that, like he has a, uh, a banker friend who he, you know, considers him family, who he probably could borrow money from constantly. But, uh, you know, he, he does borrow some from him, but you know, Geralt's still always broke all the time. Yeah. Yennefer probably would easily help him out, but he wouldn't hear of it. He wouldn't take any of her money. Mm-hmm. So it's it's pretty cool just getting that little backstory. Yennefer needs money for dresses and stuff for the wizard's conclave. It's so funny because sometimes I notice they call them sorcerers or enchantress or magician or wizard. So really, they're just all that. It's just whatever you want to call it, right? Yeah, even when they talk about the, the type of clothes that they're going to wear at the conclave, they, they talk about how they're going to be in in you know black robes and pointed hats almost like a witch yeah 
And it's so funny. We'll get to that soon. I just want to talk about how kind of uh, tacky they all are talking gossip and stuff about each other. Oh, yeah, I know. know. They're awful. But they decide to let Siri go see the town uh, with Fabio, Fabio Sachs, young Fabio. I loved Fabio Sachs, but I, I was very worried because it's like there's so much riding on the line with uh, Siri that I'm like, you're going to entrust her protection to this kid? Like, it just, you know, they're being very cavalier and nonchalant as to what Siri can do, and it's making me nervous. Yeah, and also, like, I'm like, Siri needs to be in hiding, but then go out and see the town? I'm not sure how... Is it because people don't really know what she looks like, so it'll be okay? And I know. Yeah, I think that's what it is. She's got a hat on covering her hair and et cetera. She has a hat. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. She's, you know, she's fine. She's got a fake mustache on. Nobody knows. (laughs) Exactly. It's like Clark Kent. No, they see this guy's wearing glasses. It can't be the same guy. I don't like how Fabio kind of points out different things to her. He's like, that's Artuza. That's where they, uh, the wizards go to school. And she's like, oh, neat. She's like, do you ever see any of the kids that go there? And he goes, no, never. They never let them out of there. And she's like, oh, like, it sounds like a prison. <laughs> yeah. And he points out Tor Lara, the Tower of Goals. And we learn more about that later. Garstang, Loxia Palace. You know, all that kind of cool stuff, right? Yep. And it all, she says, like, that, that uh, the Tower of Gulls sounds ominous to her. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> I wonder if that's going to come into play. What's interesting is, I, I really love this description as they're looking at all the little, the marketplace. And there was this bit that made me laugh out loud. It said, someone seemed to have been playing a horn out of tune or the person playing it had no idea how to play it, and it went on constantly in the background. (laughs) And then there's a sentence uh, a couple of pages later. It said, suddenly the horn stopped. Someone had probably killed the horn blower. And that's that's all it says about it. And I thought that was so funny. Just that bit of uh, Sapkowski humor, right? Yeah. Like I said, it's these types of things that, you know, you don't need a giant description of the town when you have something like that. It just really lets you know what this place is like. Yeah. She makes sure to ask Fabio, where's Herundon? Because, uh, you know, how far away is that? How quickly could you could you get there? You know, where's the road and stuff? Because she's thinking like, hey, I'm going to go visit Geralt, you know? She knows that. Yeah, she already has it in her mind. She's not too enthused at the idea of having to enroll in the school. To Eratuza. And it's funny because Fabio, he's like, let's get our fortunes read. And she's like, no, no, I don't believe in that. You can't read the future. And then she goes into one of her trances and she sees Fabio's future. That he's like this great explorer. He actually discovers a new continent. And then he will die at the age of 54 of a disease that is not yet known. And he also has a family and children that will never see him again. I was like, like, wow, that's kind of sad. But at least he, you know, discovers some stuff, right? Yeah. It's weird. I don't know how to feel about that. You're you're excited for the guy that he gets to kind of live out his dream or whatever, but that's really a downer. Yeah, it is. And he does get a a port named after him. So that's pretty cool. Well, there you go. He's fine. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I think it's cool. It's better than Applegat got, you know? 
Yeah, an arrow between the shoulder blades. (laughs) (laughs) 54, it's not that old, but, you know, he's going to do a lot. Well, in this world, I mean, what is the average life expectancy? 54 might be incredibly old. (laughs) Yeah. I love whenever they eat food in this and she's eating donuts with jam. Oh, yeah. All that that was a lot of fun. You know, they, they kind of chow down in the marketplace. And I love there's a tent where a guy's like, come on up and see a caged basilisk. You know, this or he's like threatening that there's a dangerous creature behind this. So you got to come see. So she pays for Fabio and they go inside and it's supposed to be a caged basilisk. And he talks about like how just breathing its breath will uh, poison you. And I loved the description of how a basilisk was created. It was uh, some lizard, I forget what it was, is born into a nest of like poisonous snakes and eats all the snakes and uh, imbibes their venom. And that's how it, oh, it was a cockerel or something, which I'm not quite sure what what that is, but it it eats all the venom and um, becomes immune to it. And because it has so much venom inside of it, 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 whenever it breathes, now it becomes this horrible creature which was was awesome yeah it just like goes on and on and siri starts going you know like that's not a basilisk (laughs) yeah exactly and she's like that's not a basilisk and the guy's like hey 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 you know what do you know she's like i know plenty that's a wyvern and he's like a what that's a wyvern it's not a basilisk and he's like she, he's got a heckler, and he doesn't like it. To this <laughs> yeah, no, heckler. definitely does not like it. He's like, well, if you know so much, you know, what is it? And, you know, she says it's a wyvern and that she could handle it or whatever. She actually goes up closer to the cage because he kind of taunts her. And it starts to, apparently it's a kind of a ramshackle cage. And I thought this bit was great that the wyvern starts to break out. There's also like a young knight there with a woman who has her dog. And uh, <laughs> yeah, the the instant the dog came into play, I was like, "Oh, that dog's that, that dog's a goner." Yeah, because I think it actually says that it bites the dog's head off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Was, the, the dog serves once it breaks out of the cage. The dog serves as a distraction, thankfully, because it probably would have killed Siri and you know gets its head taken off by the 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 wyvern. Which still, even though it's not a basilisk, still sounds like a very horrible creature. Yeah, I love how it kind of described that it leaps down with her, like spreading its wings. And I was like, whoa, dude. And if this thing flies, that's pretty scary. You know? yeah. Well, it's like, have you ever been to the fair where it's like, see the giant alligator and you go in there and it's like this trailer and this massive alligator is in there just kind of like, you know, all drugged up and, and not moving. It, it, I had that, you know, have you ever had that experience at a fair? Yeah, it's just like, it looks miserable. Yeah, it almost like they could have had a stuffed alligator in there because it's, you know, it's not really doing anything. Yeah, I think the wyvern even, like, scratches the dude's face really bad. Like, it's like, claws him. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, that Siri, guy had it, had it coming. Siri grabs the knight sword and she goes into witcher mode. Like, just her training takes over. She's doing pirouettes, dodging, she's striking, and she kills the creature... And then everyone's like, oh, the knight saved us. And she hands him his sword back, you know. Well, I'm wondering, like, in, in the actual show, when we, we get it, are we going to see a move, like a pirouette, that we see repeatedly? Because it seems like in every fight, 
someone does a pirouette. You had mentioned that through text yeah. a while back. I'm wondering if like we're going to get that level of detail in the show. Here's what Geralt does. He moves in a semicircle, and he always does a pirouette. Yeah. You ever notice that semicircle? It always says that. <laughs> it always mm-hmm. says that. So, yes, I definitely want to get that in the show. It's like, oh, he just did a semicircle. Oh, he did a pirouette. Everybody drink. Yeah, uh, yeah. take a shot every time he does a pirouette. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, dude, I'm drunk, man. I'm so drunk. He does so many pirouettes. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the lady who just had her dog's uh, head you know, bitten off, she's like, that girl created all this ruckus. It's her fault. And, you know, the... The constables show up. The bobbies. Was it? Wasn't the dog? It was her dog, Foo Foo. Was that this yeah, part? I think that was this Foo Foo. <laughs> yeah, we, we we were we were pouring out lots of forties to people in this uh, in this book. And first Applegat and now Foo Foo. Yeah, poor Foo Foo. Yeah, went out like a bitch. So <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> No, you know, Fufu tried to protect everyone. It just—I mean, no Fufu's match. a hero. You know, yeah. Fufu is probably one of the most noble characters in this book, outside of Geralt. You're right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what? Okay, so Siri realizes it's getting hot there. Like they're like paying way too much attention to her, and the the police, the guards show up, and so she uses this uh, amulet that that. Yennefer gave her who basically said don't use this <laughs> you know yeah well because it's going to give off a loud signature to anybody who's magically inclined in the area yeah they're going to come searching for it but you know use it in emergency but you're not going to have to use this because you're not going to be in emergency so she uses it and then suddenly Tessia DeVries who we met in Blood of Elves and a woman named Margarita Lowe and Teal <laughs> Lozentila, they said. Lozentila show up, and they're trying to question her, and Siri gives them a fake name, and they'll hear none of it. And apparently there was some kind of, like, mass escape of students at... Yeah, I guess they were moving um, students from one dorm to the other because something happened, I forget, and, and a bunch of the students escaped. Yeah, they wanted to go to town and have a good time, so they immediately assumed Siri is a student. And they even do a spell to shut her up, and she takes blood in her mouth. And- yeah, it was like a, a a gagging spell, you know, where she she basically describes it as it being thrown onto her, which sounds like it was incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah, and she said she pretty much knew what it was because Yennefer had done it to her before, is what it sounded like when she was asking too many questions. Didn't you get that idea? That- yeah, I did. So, I don't think Yennefer did it to her quite as, uh, as you know, forcefully. But yes, I think she, she definitely did. And luckily, you know, Fabio is there to tell him everything. But here's the thing I didn't know is uh, Yennefer's idea of entering Siri into Eratusa. Was she going to give Siri a fake name? Was she just going to be a regular girl? Because I wondered, like, how much can you trust Tessia DeVries and Margarita and all the others there not to just take Siri away as soon as Yennefer leaves town, you know? Well, yeah, like, that's kind of what I'm talking about, about them being so cavalier with her identity. Because she, when she is in Eratusa, she is referred to as Siri. But then when she talks to Tris, when Yennefer talks to Tris Marigold, she's like, oh, you know, you know who, or whatever. Yeah, so, like, yeah, it was a little... 
Um, like I said, it's just they're being very cavalier, and it's making me nervous. Yeah, it's almost like if they would have just said, Yennefer trusts these three people, but beyond yeah, that, exactly. nobody else can know. And uh, we get a bathhouse scene with uh, everybody's nude, right? Yep. We've got Tessiah, Margarita, Yen, and Siri. They're in a bathhouse talking about... Well, it's, it's funny because it's like all of these um, sorceresses are supposed to be like incredibly sexy, beautiful characters. But the voices that Peter Kenny uses <laughs> makes them sound like old women. So it, like, it's very hard to, be, to think like, oh, this lady, uh, Tessiah DeVries, is this beautiful woman in here. But she sounds like an old woman and she's naked. So it was very like... Uh, uh, kind of skeevy to me a little bit, yeah. but you know, you it's know what's fine. funny is I, um, you know, actually Tessia is an old lady. Actually, they say that she is very old, but she makes herself look young and beautiful. So maybe that's what he's going for. Like, yeah, you would think she would do a spell to make her voice younger. <laughs> exactly. Like it's hard for me Hello. to. Uh, to, to to realize that oh no she's actually quite beautiful it's just hard to reconcile that aren't I young and beautiful well, <laughs> yeah yeah you're real beautiful just stay away. <laughs> yeah, just just stand over there please I think I like how they show that Tasai is always like straightening things she has major OCD like straightening yes. everything like oh don't mess with this and stuff but what I think is funny is there's a part where they say that uh, someone is here, a captain or whatever, to see you, and they get in these sexy poses because they want to embarrass the man as he walks in and sees these naked women. But it's a woman, and they're all like, oh. And it's this woman. <laughs> yeah, it was like a big letdown. And it's so they couldn't named, be manipulative. Named Rayla, who's with, uh, she's with Redanian Army, right? Had we seen Rayla before? That seems like a very familiar character. No, name. but we do encounter her later. Later on when Dandelion is catching Geralt up on all the things that have happened, he talks about Rayla, and I was like, who the hell is Rayla? That seems familiar. And then when I went back and I was reading over this, I was like, oh, that's Rayla. She's the guard that comes to visit them to tell them about uh, stuff and that she's going to head out. She's telling Tessia DeVries that. I see. And they send uh, Siri to go get some more wine, and she kind of is watching from afar how Rayla talks to the men there, and how she's kind of carries herself. She's making a note to act that same way when she wants to leave. You know, very direct, get my horse, I'm out of here, kind of a thing. You'll do as I say, kind of a thing. So, in fact, that's exactly what Siri does when she leaves. She's like, bosses the guy around, and he's like, okay, uh, see you later, and well, I love I love the idea of the the note, you know, because they're they're sitting there talking about how their um, how their uh, sorceresses and they need to like grab life grab life by the horns and and all this stuff. And so she like recites word for word what they said using their words against them as the reason why she did what she did. Yeah, that was great. And uh, Yennefer's just kind of like <laughs> exactly. Siri sounds she's great and 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 a fun character, but she also sounds like she's very frustrating to manage. Yeah, and you know, Siri is afraid of Yennefer's anger a bit, but it's almost like she knows she can get away with it at the same time. Yes. She knows that she's going to be in big trouble, but she must see Geralt. She wants to see him. And so she leaves, and she heads out for uh, Hirundum, I believe it's called. And 
immediately the roads fork off and she she isn't sure which way to go. She's like, Fabio yeah, never she gets said lost anything in the, about this. In the storm. And, yeah, it's a very violent storm and she's at first she sees the Scoyatel coming after her and then as she shakes it off it's a, like a vision or a an illusion or and then she sees the black knight after her and she's like he will not touch me kind of a thing so do you think the scoyatel actually were there going after her or that was just completely something that she uh, envisioned i think she sometimes sees things that she's going to see later and she was actually seeing what she's going to see later on okay gotcha seeing it now because indeed she does turn around and see the black knight after her later and the Scoyatel everywhere. And I think that's what she was seeing. But she's seeing the future, basically. And she sees the Tower of Goals, and it looks ominous with, like, lightning and electricity coming off of it. And I was, like, trying to imagine that. I was like, yeah, I wouldn't visit there. No, yeah, definitely. It's like, oh, yeah, where's the Conclave? Oh, right next to that horrible place that's been haunting my dreams all the time. I'm good. <laughs> I'm going to stay home. Yeah, and then there's a part where I was like, now what now? This shit's crazy. We first got the word of the Wild Hunt in Sword of Destiny. If you remember in A Shard of Ice, Yennefer and Geralt are in a town where he didn't want to be, and he kind of talks about the Wild Hunt. Like, people see it, and it means a war's coming, and sometimes people follow it, and they go mad chasing it or something. Do you remember that? I do remember it a little bit. It's, it's uh, the wild hunt is a something that kind of comes up a lot in fantasy books. It's this, um, you know, it, maybe it's this might be one of the first places, but I believe in uh, in the Harry Potter series we kind of have the wild hunt going on there, and then there's a couple other. Um, I, I, I don't really remember which books it was in, but I know I've seen this whole idea of the wild hunt before. It's like some crazy imagery that we don't really get in. We haven't gotten up until now. It sounds like skeletons on horses riding in the sky, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It's, um, yeah, basically this, this thing that happens uh, every time. They, they said basically any time a war is going to happen or a war is going to break out, we get these like ghost riders in the sky, basically, that uh, will, you know, it's this massive hunt that um, can you basically can join and ride with them, you know, and be lost forever. Why does it make me think of something from the Haunted Mansion from Disneyland or something? Yeah, it does. Or it something does from the Pirates of the like Caribbean or something like that. But the head writer, he's like, he says, child of elder blood, you belong to us. You are ours. Join the procession. And she's like, I will not. And she like keeps writing. Yeah, well, and he even refers to her. He's like, we might be dead, but you are death. And I was like, oh, that's ominous. It's like, that's rude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Come on, man. So we cut to Bernie Hoffmeyer's estate or his farm. And what's funny is he has a wife named Petunia. And he even goes on to mention like her. She's just like her family, the Bieberveltz. Yeah, they're all skin flints. I love that term for talking about somebody who's cheap. Yeah, but did you notice that? He said Bieberveld. Yeah, she's a Bieberveld. Yeah, so she's related. Nutgrass Meadow. So she has a cousin, Doodoo Bieberveld, basically. I wonder if she knows that. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> I wonder if she knows her new cousin. Yeah, Doody. <laughs> Doody. Yeah, or uh, what? I forget what what they actually changed his name. Oh yeah, it was Doody. Yeah, they just called him Doody Beavervelt. And but I love the Beavervelt, so that's awesome to get a name drop there. And uh, Dandelion's chilling out with them, and Geralt shows up, and he senses that something's in the air. You need to close all the windows because the wild hunt is is here, and your children will have horrible nightmares. So, clo- you know, hopefully they don't fly too low. Just close the shutters and stuff. But then he hears a rider is coming. At first, they think it's a group of riders, and he's like, no, it's a single rider, and they're coming this way. And, you know, he pulls his sword and he's getting ready for whoever it is and then like a portal opens up and there's and it's funny because it's from dandelion's point of view the angriest face <laughs> like he's ever seen <laughs> just like scowling he's just like ah it's yennefer i know that face and she yeah. casts a spell and fires it right at the uh, the wild hunt because they're chasing Siri and they see it's Siri. And don't you love the bit where Xandaline's like, who will she run to? Yeah, I did love that. That whole idea of, of her having to choose between the two of them. And her solution to that problem was awesome as well. To just uh, pass out. <laughs> yeah. Avoid the situation altogether. And I love the next day, uh, Dandelion's like, you were totally faking. She's like, how did you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's like, it was pretty obvious. And I love the bit where they're watching, well, she's watching Yennefer and Geralt standing by themselves, kind of having a conversation. And Dandelion's not really watching them, but he's like, describe what's going on. And she's like, Geralt's just hanging his head low. And (laughs) Yennefer's not really saying anything. He's like, well, to put it plainly, I know exactly what's going happening. And, Geralt is apologizing to her and he wants her to forgive him. And she's like, that's not what's going on. He goes, no, no, I'm a poet. Believe me. I I know what's going (laughs) on. And the part where she says, well, he's like, what's happening now? And Yennefer is yelling. She's screaming. She's uh, gesticulating wildly. And Geralt's just hanging his head. And he's like, well, she's apologizing to him now. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. But then the next scene, first we get this little bit about it was written by Dandelion about how love is like a pear. Describe the shape of a pear to someone. It's like similar to describing love. It's hard to explain. Love comes in all shapes and sizes and everyone shares their love a different way, I guess. Is that what is? Yeah, I don't I don't quite remember that that part, actually. Yeah, it's like these little bits. I can understand how it kind of gets lost between chapters. Because usually at the beginning of a chapter, it'll have an excerpt from a book. Like one will be by Dandelion, his book of poetry, and it'll be about love. But when you're hearing people talk and then in the audiobook, it goes to the next chapter. You kind of don't realize what the hell he's talking about for a second. You know what I mean? Yeah, it is a little bit confusing because we don't get like clear defined chapter breaks. It seems like, you know. Yeah, like we do, we definitely do, but it, it, they all just seem to kind of flow into each other, and so it's hard to know when you know one scene ends and another scene begins. Especially in the next scene, I don't want to get too deep into it, but there's a part where it's like, okay, we're actually with them in what's going on, and now we're at a point where Geralt is telling you what happened, 
but we don't like there's no break in the action there so right. it was a bit confusing and you know what i actually have gotten used to that now from uh sort of destiny i was like oh i see what uh, andre's doing here i know what's going on yeah i i definitely see it too but it takes me a little bit of time to kind of um yeah. realize that's what's actually happening yeah because what happens next is uh Geralt and Yennefer are heading to the Conclave. And I love the... There's a great bit here. It made me think that maybe Andrei Sapkowski, I assume he's married, I don't know, has been to many banquets that he was not having a good time. Like, how come mm-hmm. there's no chairs? Like, you can't <laughs> yeah, sit down? Yeah, exactly. And what's with this food layout? Like, come on, where's the buffet, man? You know, it's like Geralt is just kind of pissed that there's no decent food and there's nowhere to sit. And, uh, you know, well, it like, sounded like she would, he would never go with her to any of those things when they lived together because he didn't want to just be arm candy. But he's so desperate to, like, have her in his life that he's willing to take, you know, take the yeah. bullet for her this time. This is the first time that we really get to see Yen and Geralt trying really hard. You know, yeah, I, it was very like I, I didn't know that it was going to go down this road between the two of them because it seemed like throughout the story there's so much bad blood. But to get the point, you know, where where they're together and they actually are affectionate with one another and actually enjoy being around each other because their their relationship, all we've gotten of it so far, has been kind of miserable. Um, yeah. This was a nice thing to see. It's all, we get a lot of we don't see them actually discussing anything as readers. We get to kind of, we're almost like uh, Siri, like how she never gets any information, has to figure shit out for herself. We yeah. almost get that from them. Like we have to piece things together by the way they're acting. I think almost Yen and Geralt never really talk. It's, they just know like, Hey, we're going to try now because we have Siri and we both care about her this much. We're going to try to be together and just work things out, but we're not going to talk about it kind of a thing. Yeah. And, uh, there's even a great part where he tells her that he loves her and she's like, what, you know, did you really just say that kind of thing? And I thought that was good. And he knows that you're in a conclave of wizards and they can all read your mind. So he makes sure to think just of Yennefer and how devoted he is to her. And Yennefer even thanks him for that. Well, it was it was nice to see how touched she was, you know, because she comes off as so aloof most of the time that uh, it was really nice to see that she was actually happy that he said it. Yeah, that was great. And boy, do we get some crazy. uh, They get to talk to a lot of people and they're all just interesting characters, aren't they? Yes, they are. They are very interested in displaying their wares. Yes, they're Sabrina Glevisig. She outwardly flirts with Geralt and she's kind of like, well, Yennefer, you know, so nice to see. Oh, look who you're with. And she's got a see-through blouse the whole time. And Geralt's yeah. just kind of like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, I also love how they're like basically um, criticizing each other because of their age. Yeah. Like that's actually a thing. Like, oh, well, she's way older than I am. Should it's she... like, well, you're all done up magically. Yeah. Should you really be wearing that? You know? And I love that Philippa Eilhart and Dykstra show up and she's like, have you seen Sabrina? Have you seen what she's wearing? And she's like, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. we saw. 
And I thought it was really cool. Like, I got excited. Like, hey, Tris Marigold shows up. Yeah, I, I like Tris Marigold a lot. Like, she's one of my favorite characters in the book. There's even a bit where Tris is like, oh, Geralt. And Yennefer's just not taking her eyes off of her as she's looking. You know, she's talking to Geralt and she can, like, feel Yennefer's stare on her. <laughs> well, and also, like, it says that he basically went against protocol and, and grabbed her in, like, a tight embrace because, you know, she means so much to him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's another thing she kind of warns him about, like, you mustn't hover above the food. Just grab something, move immediately. Don't stand too long. Don't drink too much. Just have sips. And he's like, what the hell is this crap, man? You mean I can't have any fun? Because, you know, Geralt, he just wants to... Uh, he he wants to get drunk because he doesn't want to be here. Because he's bored. Yeah. It's so funny looking at my notes, how many times I've misspelled people's names, just writing it out really... I actually, Geralt is spelled Gerhardt. No, no, wait. That actually is a guy. <laughs> Gerhardt, the oldest living wizard. Tessiah, Francesca Findebear is the most beautiful woman who's also elven. We'll learn more about her later. I'm just going to say this much. Traitor. Oh, man. Yeah. Here's my notes on Vilgefort. Dick. <laughs> That's all it's I, I could see why you would uh, land on that description. There's Artaud Terranova, who, remember I said, oh, man, that dude's got an awesome name. He's a yeah. dick. Had we seen him before? Yes, he was in uh, Blood of Elves in that little gathering when they're all meeting with the uh, the council. And the uh, yes, Isaiah okay. is trying to read what Vilgefortz is hiding on his desk. And he realizes that Vilgefortz is... L- searching for Yennefer. So that's another thing about being here at this thing. I was like, why is Yennefer here hiding Siri? It just seems like a bad idea. And it yeah, turns- the whole, like, they, they they should not have gone to this conclave. They should not have. They should have stayed far away. And in fact, they pretty much figured that out. Like, hey, this wasn't a good idea. <laughs> this is a really bad idea. And then, of course, there's Lydia Van Breedvoort, the one that has the illusion over her missing jaw that makes her look normal. Oh, and there was this funny bit where he's talking with Philippa. And Philippa is kind of gossiping about different people and stuff. And the caviar is all gone, so she creates an illusion of caviar. And people keep coming up, ooh, caviar. And he's like, it's an illusion. <laughs> and they're like, what? And yeah, t- well, it's, it sounded like the whole thing was an illusion, right? Like, they they weren't able to cast magic in, in the conclave because somebody had put, you know, spells uh, deterring people from doing so. But they were able to make everything seem like it was, you know, this giant, beautiful palace, when in truth it was just like a crumbling ruin. Right. Kind of like as an allegory to what's going on inside of all of these sorcerers because they look beautiful on the outside but if you were to tear away the magic there are all these ancient like horrible people yeah. uh, you know that, that just have illusions of beauty put on them yeah that's a that's a good uh, note there and also I remember when they first arrived Geralt's like how do they keep these candles lit with all the windows open with wind blowing through and then he realizes oh they're just an illusion and I just thought that was funny because uh, even Philippa says something about being able to give an orgasm. Yeah. And girls, uh, and like, <laughs> I was just like, excuse me. I thought that I'm good. 
And I believe she kind of hints there that she's not even into men. She's into women there. Uh, Dykstra tells Geralt that Vilgefortz is going to try to make an ally out of him. He's going to come and he wants to have a conversation. And Geralt's like, what do you mean? I'm not into politics. I don't choose sides. <laughs> yeah, he's neutral. Like, he's like, trust me, he will come to you. And, you know, perhaps maybe if you told me what happens and Geralt's like, he'll have none of it, of course, because Geralt never gives anybody anything, you know. No, especially not him. Yeah, not Dykstra. And then there's these two uh, sorceresses, Sabrina and Marty, and they're gossiping about Yennefer. Oh, can you believe that she showed up with the Witcher? And they both talk about like, and it's funny because they make it makes note that Geralt can hear everything they're saying with his Witcher ears, and they're basically talking about taking turns with him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he's like thankful that because of his pale Witcher skin, he can't blush because he would have just then. <laughs> I thought that was. Yeah, it seems like everybody's going out of their way to make him feel as uncomfortable as possible. (laughs) And I thought it was really cool. Dora Gray shows up. We haven't seen Dora Gray since uh, the first story, Bounds of Reason, in Sword of Destiny. He's kind of disgusted by what people are wearing, like pieces of animal skin and stuff of their clothes. You know, Dora Gray, he's always complaining about stuff. He's a conservationist. Yeah. And it's funny, Philippa kind of shows up and she warns Geralt that, did you know, Dorgray, he's a spy for a different king. And he's just like, I don't care. And, you know, he doesn't care for politics. And then Kira and Marty, those same two ladies with the, I believe they have see-through blouses too, because they show up and they're kind of flirting with Geralt and Yennefer shows back up. She goes, it's strange. There's three women here that have see-through glasses, and you seem to have talked to all three of them. (laughs) And he's just like, it's just a coincidence, man. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's like, don't you think that uh, maybe the women who are wearing the see-through blouses are are going to... uh come up to me you know it's not my fault yeah everyone seems fascinated to see a witcher like ooh, the witcher it's a witcher did you see yeah. that see who yennefer's with and it's funny because they all know like i heard you were messing around with the witcher that's interesting so uh the chapter shows up with vilgefortz and he talks to Geralt, and there was i thought this was really cool and descriptive he takes him to this gallery showing this history of wizards and I like the descriptions of the different things. And he's like, perhaps one day it could be you and I, Geralt, in one of these paintings. This great uh, alliance. Is well, it, we kind of we kind of uh, really get a glimpse of how old these wizards are. Because one of the wizards that is in one of the paintings, very early, you know, one of the, the oldest paintings, is there at the conclave. Yeah, that guy, what is his name, Gerhardt? Gerhardt, yeah. Yeah, he is in one of the paintings. And it's, it's pretty crazy. And he basically shows Geralt that everything there is an illusion. Like it's a decrepit, decaying building. And he even shows him that the thing they're standing on is in ruins. And Geralt's kind of like thrown off balance for a second, you know, because it looks like, you know, he could fall to his death. But there's an illusion keeping you from uh, seeing just how unstable everything is. I thought that was interesting. And there'd probably be more accidents there. Uh, <laughs> yes. I, I think it's quite the liability risk. Yeah. Garsting is protected by magic and the tower of goals houses a portal. P 
people who have interacted with the Tower of Swallows, it's, it houses an ancient and dangerous portal that people who have messed with it before, I guess throughout the years, you know, this is a long time, there's a, a portal in the Tower of uh, Swallows that uh, people have never been seen again who've messed with it. So they kind of closed it off. So the way I understand it, the Tower of Goals will lead to the Tower of Swallows. Is that right? Or did... I think so, yeah. I don't, I don't quite know why they needed to have this conclave here. It seems like such a decrepit ruin, but it's like very important to the wizards. And I, I get the idea of them, you know, not wanting to have to pay for workmen to do it all up. But it just seemed weird that, that this is such an important place to them, but it is in such disrepair. Yeah, it's like they care about it, but not enough to really bother upkeeping it, you know? Yeah. So this bit here with uh, Geralt and Vilgefortz. It sounds like what Geralt thinks he's doing is trying to recruit him, basically saying, hey, you could be a great sorcerer like me. Doesn't it sound that way to you? It, it does sound like that. But do you think that uh, he's actually sincere in that when he's talking about them having the, 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 the picture together in the gallery? Or do you think he's just playing him to tell him where Siri is? I think he's playing him. I think whatever kind of alliance he has with Emrys... It's obvious that he craves power of some kind, right? Yeah, he's very manipulative and very um, so I, wants to be the most powerful. I don't think that Geralt could trust him at all. And, oh, no, uh, definitely not. It's funny because Geralt even says what a little he knows about his father, but he calls his father a swashbuckler, which I thought was kind of funny. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah, that's cool. So his dad was like a, a pirate? Is that what it means? <laughs> yeah, he's like an Errol Flynn type. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was cool. So anyway, uh, that there's a whole scene with Yen and uh, Geralt. They're uh, having some sex. And it's I guess it's some fantastic because they do it like three times. And she even screams in the night or something. <laughs> Yeah, well, she even says it's been so long since I've done that with a man that I've, who's declared his love for me and I've declared my love for. Yeah. Doesn't she say, oh, it's been so long since I've done this. It's been so long. And Geralt's like, nah, I'm not falling into that trap. He's not going to say, <laughs> yeah. well, actually, it's only been a week for me or something like that. You know, <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, it has been a long time. <laughs> Well, it's funny because they, they have such a tumultuous relationship, but she's jealous anytime he, uh, you know, brings up anything about Tris Marigold or, or any other woman out there. She's got a lot of jealousy as if they were an exclusive couple, but it doesn't really seem like she has the same standard. Yeah. Yennefer's like, tell me about your conversation with him. You know, it goes into what Vilgefortz told him. But Vilgefortz says that the things he's done in his life, and one of them is basically uh, he's resorted to rape. And I was mm -hmm. like, well, that seems to be common in this world all of a sudden. Yeah, right? That's just like uh, everybody's kind of go-to thing. And I'm like, gosh. Yeah, it's kind of rapey in this movie. Yeah, very rapey. <laughs> I was like, dude, what the hell? <laughs> So it cuts to Siri. She's there with Dandelion. He's entertaining, singing to someone. And she's like under this protective spell of Yennefer's. But they've been gone so long, it's dissipated. She's having trouble sleeping. So 
she sees a vision of Code Ringer and Falka. I mean, Code Ringer and Falka. Code Ringer and Finn, and they find out that she's related to Falka. Um, yeah. Falka led a revolution. She was burned at the stake, and she is a descendant of her. And she, as she was burning alive, she said that her descendant would get revenge. Code Ringer basically says that they won't ever tell Geralt of this. <laughs> yeah. And three thugs show up. And Code Ringer, should we just pour one out for Code Ringer? And yeah, Geralt man. Like, uh, it's great characters just, uh, you know, throwing them away, I guess. Code Ringer didn't seem like he had long to live anyway. He was... No, he definitely didn't. But Fen, I mean, that's the tragedy here. Yeah, they kick Finn over and basically they burn him alive. Yeah, but he does get to use his like slingshot thing. Yeah, his you know? little uh, ball bearing gun, which Torko would have loved. Yeah, I know. That's what I was thinking. That's why I was thinking the crossover story that we get of them in you know one of the prequels is going to be great. Oh yeah, and what's funny is these guys they take all of the information they've gathered for themselves including the idea about the Siri doppelganger, which we'll get to that later. Because you realize that's where they got the idea from. Oh, okay. So they were um, th they were inspired. By okay, that makes sense. They gathered all of Code Ringer's intel, basically. Mm -hmm. And there's this interesting bit where the narrator of the story tells us that if things hadn't worked out just this way, if... Geralt hadn't decided to get fully dressed and leave the room at this moment, things would have t turned out much differently. Well, he refers to it as the history of the world. So th the events that are about to happen are very, very important. Yeah. Geralt witnesses, he senses magic nearby is going off, you know, in his, his medallion. And uh, he sees Artald... Terranova being punched in the face and being arrested by Kira. And there's a Philippa and Triss. And there's some kind of coup going on where they're arresting certain sorcerers. And this part was very... I, I'll admit, I was confused a bit. Yes, I totally agree. There's a lot going on with a lot of characters in this part. And it's hard to know who's on which side. Right. So basically, while Geralt and Yennefer were having fun uh, in their room, some shit was going down. Well, yeah, what it seems like is happening is that they knew that the Nilfgaard, that some of the people there had sided with Nilfgaard, right? right. This is uh, uh, King, is it King Vizimir's men? Yeah, the Philippa and Dykstra, they work for uh, King Vizimir of Redania, and they... Exactly. So they do a preemptive strike on the people that they think are going to betray them. Yeah. Basically dissolving the entire council and throwing them into this kind of a civil war of wizards. Right. So here the uh, the traitors, who they believe are traitors, are Vilgeforts, Terranova, Francesca Findebear, who's like the most beautiful woman alive, who's elvish. There's Faircart of Sidaris and Lydia. She's the one with the illusion of her face. They find Lydia's dead body. She's been stabbed. And that was meant to just slow them down, I guess. The description of the way she looked without her illusion was quite disturbing. Yeah, she looked pretty bad. And so we also know, okay, Philippa, Triss, Sabrina, Kira, 
And there's a guy named Radcliffe and Death Mold. I don't even remember Death Mold, but I have, I've made the note. They're the ones who are... He's, he is uh, of the same family line as Malsack. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's a druid, no doubt, with that name. So they're pulling the coup on the traitors before the traitors know what's happening. But Vilgefortz was ready for them. And also it appears that Gerhardt, the oldest living sorcerer, has fallen into a coma or something. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't they say he's fallen ill, like all of a sudden? I thought, yeah, I don't I don't remember what, what was happening with him. And so we know that Tessia DeVries, she's totally neutral. So, so are people like Dora Gray. And the thing is, we don't know where Yennefer stands on any of this. And even, uh, you know, Geralt is immediately put in shackles and they don't know what to do with him. Even Triss Marigold casts a blind spell on him so he can't see anymore. So he can't see what's going on. Yeah, she has to make it seem like she's not siding with him. Yeah. And she feels she, she apologizes to him in secret. Yeah. And she just wants to protect him from all this stuff that's going on. And Dykstra is basically saying, you know, he's like, well, what about Yennefer? I need to get to Yennefer. And he goes, if Yennefer's sleeping comfortably, that means she's on the wrong side because she's with the traitors and she thinks everything is fine. And he's like, no, no, I think you're wrong. Yeah. That's a pretty big assumption. Yeah. And I honestly, I was thinking about this. I honestly think that Yennefer is totally neutral because all she cares about is Siri right now. And I doubt she knows anything about this stuff. What do you- yeah, I don't think she, the only thing that I would think is maybe she knows about it because she's so savvy, uh, but she's definitely not working with them. Like it, it could be some sort of like double agent type thing, you know, to yeah. throw them off of the whole thing. That's the only thing I could think of. Yeah, and there's this great part where uh, they basically like, well, we can't have you running around here, Geralt, so we're going to take you back to Redania in custody. And he's like, oh, I need to get to Yennefer. So as soon as Philippa leaves, like, uh, Geralt takes Dykstra and all of his men out, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, I love the, the whole part about him, like, punching Dykstra in the face and then just, like, shattering his leg. <laughs> yeah. I like, Dykstra, great. you had that coming. And Dykstra's like, I'll have you killed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, because uh, Dan- Dandelion shows up, right? And and he's basically, I'm going to have you both, you know, tortured and killed or whatever. And, and, yeah. uh, and Dandelion's like freaking out. And he just like totally shatters his leg. Yeah. And Dandelion has, he's like, I have your swords. And he's like, that's Siri's sword, you idiot. Where's <laughs> yeah. Siri? He's like, I don't know. She was gone. And so Geralt's like, ah, oh. he heads to Garsting. And the illusion has completely gone away and the place is falling apart. So basically there's some kind of battle going on, like sorcerers are fighting sorcerers. And what I imagine in my head, this sounds awesome, right? Oh yeah, it does sound awesome. It sounds like a lot of people get stabbed too, which is interesting that like a sorcerer, that's how a sorcerer would go out by getting stabbed. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it sounds like a pretty epic battle that I, I really can't wait to see. Uh, in the you know in the show, yeah, and I'm wondering if this would be more of a season two thing or you know, <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely has to be like a uh, a season ending cliffhanger. Yeah, and Geralt as he's heading up the you know he's going upstairs and he sees Dora Gray running for his life and he gets hit by a Scoyatel arrow and it turns out the Scoyatel were hiding below and Vilgefortz let them all out. 
and they're all attacking now. It's just like mayhem. Yeah, well, it's like you said that that uh, that Vilgefortz knew what was going on. It seems like he kind of has a uh, an idea of just about everything that's going on. Yeah, and a sorcerer named Cardin Carduin he helps Geralt and uh, he helps uh, Dora Gray, and I believe Dora Gray survives this, right? I know he's. Fine. Yeah, I believe so. I was trying to like, does he die? But I don't think he does. I think he's fine. They don't really kind Dor- of. Dora Gray's not going out like that. Yeah, that's too cool a name for Dora Gray. Exactly. We've got too much history. Then all of a sudden, uh, Kira falls onto uh, Geralt, and she has a broken leg. She says, "Oh, she sounded so pathetic too." Yeah, our Todd. I'm just gonna call him Todd. Terranova. Todd Terranova threw her out a <laughs> <Todd>. window. <laughs> Way to go, Todd. Yeah, he threw her out a window, and I love that Geralt has to go after him, you know, because he knows that they're all after Siri, Siri somewhere in there. Uh, but basically, explains that Kira tells Geralt that Vilgefortz, Artaud, Terranova, Lydia, and Faircart are all traitors, and that uh, they believe Vilgefortz actually killed Lydia himself. Or ordered her to kill herself. I don't know what happened, but she's dead. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what happened there either. And meanwhile, uh, Siri has gone into a trance, and she's kind of telling them that King Vizimir has been assassinated, and Tissaia is, like, freaking out. Like, shut her up! And <laughs> Philippa, she's like, Philippa is now going to be in a place of... Uh, power you remember she says something about philippa basically benefiting from all this and philippa's like you better shut her up yennefer yeah and uh tasaya i guess she's like so angry out of the the traitors and this coup that she brings the entire spell down so now well yeah she she's not on either side she's basically still neutral and kind of disgusted at all of them so she decides to crumble the entire thing. She's the reason that all the battle breaks out because they can now do magic and spells because she brings it down. And she immediately realizes it was a really bad decision. Probably a bad idea. Yeah. And there's a great bit here where uh, Siri and Yen are running and hiding from the Scoyatel. Mm-hmm. And... Well, and it's, it's cool because like Yennefer can't use magic because... If she does, they'll know where she is. So she has to basically go at them with a knife. Yeah, she's like gutting Scoyatel, and she tells Siri that she made a mistake coming there. They never should have come there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, I could have told you that. And she even says, uh, she even calls her daughter there. She tells her to run and find a Oh, horse. yeah, she does call her daughter. It's very touching. Yeah, and immediately she's being chased by Riance. Oh, Riance. <laughs> She escapes out a window, and that's when our Todd Terranova catches her and calls her little bird. And he's like, you know, so you can tell the future. Tell me my future. And she's like, well, you should be afraid of birds. And right then, <laughs> Philippa, as an owl, basically rips his eyes out. Yeah. And Geralt, um, does he, he had chop, it coming. Does he chop his head off or just stab him in the neck or something? I thought he chopped his head off. Yeah, Geralt comes up and he's like... <laughs> And so Terranova is out. Yeah. Siri now has her sword, and Geralt tells her to run as he's fighting off Scoyatel because they're everywhere. And the Black Knight is now chasing her. And I think that the vision she saw earlier of the Black Knight is now, now. And I thought this part was freaking awesome. Yeah, it was cool. 
where she's like, I'm not going to let this guy scare me anymore. And her Witcher yeah. training takes over, and she... It's like its like Kevin in Home Alone when he, you know, I know you hate that movie, <laughs> but when he, like, goes and confronts the furnace, you know, or not the furnace, confronts the, uh, the you know, his empty house or whatever. Exactly. You hear me? I'm not afraid anymore. That type of yeah. vibe I got. You wouldn't remember because I know you hate that movie. <laughs> it's not that I hate it. I just didn't think it was great. <laughs> just kidding. So she takes his ass out. She doesn't kill him, but she cuts him really bad and knocks his you know, winged helmet off and sees he's got this young face. And she's immediately disarmed. Like she's Yeah, not- she had the chance to kill him. And you'd think she would kill him because she's so... Um, been so afraid of him for so long but when she knocks the helmet off and sees that he's just like a normal person it kind of takes the whole boogeyman out of it yeah and she's just like you're not a threat to me i'm out of here and she takes off Geralt doesn't know where she went but i love how it describes his they say his name finally his name is k here and uh he's sitting there bleeding watching Geralt just take after take out multiple Squiatel with precision just like whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. you know just taking them all out and he's just standing there like wow this guy is really good at this <laughs> <laughs> and he then approaches Kay here the Black Knight and he says please I'm the one who saved her I'm the one who saved her from Sintra and then he looks up and Geralt is just gone and Geralt doesn't kill him either so there's like a more to this guy's story yeah I think we're going to see him Again, like we know that he failed in bringing Siri to uh, the emperor. And we also know that he spent some time in prison and then they took him out of prison and gave him another chance to get Siri again. So now what's going to happen to him? He's well, he, he asked like Geralt is like, he's like, you know, don't kill me. And he's like, well, why shouldn't I? And he's like, well, she got out of uh, Sintra because of me and, and he lets him live. So it's like, is he really as bad? You know, because this time he wants to catch her again. So I'm kind of confused as to what his motivations are. Right. So Siri, she runs to Tor Lara, the portal where the portal is, and Geralt tries to follow, but there's Vilgaforts. Let's talk about this fight that Geralt has with Vilgaforts. Um, yeah, it's it's really the the first time that we kind of see Geralt uh, get his butt handed to him. Right, I mean, Vilgefortz as is as fast as Geralt, and he's not used to that. And Vilgefortz, does he have like a an enchanted staff or something? Yeah, it sounded like he beat him up with a metal pipe, which I think is <laughs> yeah. awesome. But like, it's apparently like an iron staff, and it's got magical properties. And uh, it's not fair; he's cheating, basically. Yeah, it's not. A, it's not cool. He does offer, you know, he's like, hey, you could join me still. The offer's still open. And Geralt's like, I know, dude. Ain't happening. <laughs> yeah. what, what do I have to do to tell you I don't want to be on your team? And he then smashes his leg. He breaks his leg. He breaks uh, several yeah. Bones. Which, like, I guess Geralt kind of had that coming because he did the same thing to, uh, what's his name? Uh, Dykstra. But, you know, it was still kind of hard to read that. Yeah, and I kind of read more about Tessiah. Basically, what happened is when she learns that the chapter was uh, compromised, she's really mad about 
Philippa and Triss and them working for the kings against the chapter. And she kind of sides with Vilgefortz for a moment. And then she realizes the error of her ways not because Vilgefortz did not have the chapter's best interests in mind either. Because essentially, Emhir Var Emrys knows the reason Nilfgaard lost the first time is because they had their council, their chapter of wizards fighting. So the whole this has all been about creating a uh, a fracture in the this alliance of sorcerers and to break it apart and that's exactly what they did you know and so now there's no sorcerers to stop them anymore yeah it seems like he kind of realized the only thing that was keeping these kingdoms together was their ability with wizards so he goes and kind of you know nips that in the heels and and takes that away from the king so he entices vilgefortz and apparently francesca findebear who's elvish he was promised this chunk of land for her elves and well it it kind of makes sense for her i mean under the rule of all the other kings they treat elves terribly and i don't know if emir bar emrys is like good on his word at how he will, you know, he will treat the elves. It certainly doesn't go well for the squirrels later, but like it, um, it it seems like they have a better shot at an existence under his rule than the current rule. Yeah. There's even a part with, uh, Phil Vandrell where he's like, uh, I'm jumping ahead here, but I just remember this. He's saying, that's fine. Can we tell the Squiatel they can come home now? This is a place where elves can live, you know, uh, can we bring them home? And she's like, no, we're not supposed to. They're supposed to keep creating unrest and they need to stay out there. You know, basically doing the whims of Nilfgaard. And yeah. he seems kind of like, doesn't like that. No, not at all. Because it's like we've said before, any of the young ones that die, that's just kind of thinning out that whole population exponentially because they won't be able to breed. Yeah, and uh, basically Tessiah, she just bringing Hellfire down on everything, I believe. And the Tower of Goals actually gets destroyed. And we just get this moment where Geralt is being pulled out of there. You know, Yennefer and uh, and Triss, they're all trying to help him. It cuts to a next chapter, and it's Dandelion heading to Brokilon. And I was like, whoa, this is a... <laughs> yeah, I liked this part a lot. I mean, there's not a lot of humor in this book like we we don't really get much of any of the humor and light moments that we had uh in the first couple short stories books at all in this one so this little bit with dandelion you know trying to pretend to be brave was uh was fun yeah i love even the men are like look at that guy he's something you know (laughs) yeah gosh man i wish i were that brave because they're like this is as far as we go we'll catch an arrow if we get even even any closer to brokilon so you need to go the rest of the way yourself and he's like really i'm supposed to have an escort the king said i could and they're like no 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 we're not going any further and he's like fine i have to go so i'm going and i love the bit where dandelion he's saying the hero you know he rides ahead on his trusty steed you know and he's kind of like narrating himself and then he's like uh-huh. the hero is shot with an arrow <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly and basically because his horse like it uh, shits in the river 
And then he imagines him getting killed and landing in there with the shit. <laughs> it's really funny stuff. Yeah. And it's funny, he's walking ahead, and he just is waiting for, an arrow's going to hit me, and he sits down and he starts playing. And then I love how the dryads, you know, they're all of a sudden there, and they're watching him, and they love the beautiful singing he's doing. And they, in fact, they want him to sing more. Yeah, I wonder if he didn't have that specific loot, you know, because it's definitely an elven loot. Like, would they have responded him to him so favorably? Yeah. Or is it just his singing that they loved? Yeah. He must have a beautiful voice. <laughs> <laughs> and Geralt is there. That's where he's been on the mend. And he wants to know about what's going on in the world. And this is where, you know, it breaks down like he says, well, this is what happened and this is what happened. And we get the part about Rayla protecting refugees and Nilfgaard is hunting them down. Uh, Tamaria didn't help Adern fight Nilfgaard. Cadwin attacked Adern instead of helping them uh, and basically took it over. Uh, most of the wizards are neutral and not getting involved, but Triss and Philippa are working for Redania. King Foltes kicked all the wizards out of his country because he doesn't trust them. Tessiah has overcome the grief and committed suicide. Yeah, what about yeah that, that, was, that was pretty sad. She's uh, distraught because the Council of Wizards is in disarray. And that moment that she basically kind of lost her cool and gave Vilgefortz the upper hand, she's not going to forgive herself for that. And she commits suicide. That was pretty cool. It slits her wrists, too, yeah. I, I, which is a very um, non-wizardly way to kill yourself. And, you know, Geralt asks about Yen, but Dandelion really doesn't know. And he says that there are rumors that she's allied with Vilgefortz. But I'm like saying to the book, like, no way, man. <laughs> Not Yennefer, man. Something else is up. She's up to something. But we really find nothing more about Yennefer in the book. Yeah, this is kind of the end of her, uh, of anything that has to do with her. So In this book, anyway. Dandelion basically... What we put together is he tells Geralt that there's rumors that they have Ciri in Nilfgaard. Is what I, this is what I'm putting together. And that Geralt needs to go and save Ciri. And Dandelion begs to join uh, Geralt. And uh, finally Geralt lets him go with him, which I think is great, right? Yeah, it is. But I, I love uh, brave Dandelion. At the same time, Dandelion kind of says to the Dryads that I have failed him, you know, and I wonder why Dandelion feels that way. Yeah, he, he, he's got some sort of internal conflict about how he handles the whole situation. And it doesn't really seem to me that he did anything terribly wrong, but he, he's definitely feeling guilty. One thing I will say about Dandelion and also about Peter Kenny that I like is that when he's singing in the book, a lot of times narrators will not sing it. They'll just kind of like uh, melodically say the words. But Peter Kenny actually sings when Dandelion sings, and he has a nice voice. Yeah. Yeah, that is great stuff there. And one th thing I just thought of now when you were talking, remember that Dandelion has done spying in the past. Do you think maybe he reported something and now he feels guilty about? 
I think so. I think there's got to be something like that going on. We don't really get what it actually is. But, you know, he, he, he's feeling guilty because Geralt has lost everything. It says that if that if somebody loses everything, it, it's really down to their friends, but maintains their friends. Um, it's their friend's fault. I don't know if I really agree with that, but that's the way Dandelion's feeling. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Subkovsky, he just gives us breadcrumbs a lot. Of yes. Times. Just gives us these little bits where we're like, huh, what does he mean there? And maybe we'll find out later. Yeah. Oh, that that might be important. And then there's like an entire book dedicated to that, like <laughs> yeah. one little thing. And what's interesting, it cuts to Nilfgaard. And this is where dread started setting in. Like, oh, my yeah. God, they have Siri. Like, they friggin' have Siri. And now there's this kind of little thing here where they're introducing her to everyone and they're talking about, look at her. She's nothing but a savage. She's so ugly and unkempt. And I was like, no, Siri's not that bad. And she's clumsy and she trips on the way up there. And the emperor looks her in his eyes and he doesn't really say anything, but he's like, uh, um, you are safe here and your lands. And, you know, he gives the whole spiel, but then he goes back in the back room with his men and he basically explains that he's been trade, been betrayed by Riantz and Cahir, and he wants Vilgefort's dead because they're lied to him. And yeah, well, he orders uh, Riantz, like, tortured. One thing I thought was interesting is they bring in Zarthisius, who is their... Yeah, I love Their magician. I, and I, I like love him. how he's he like... Can you find anyone in this land? He's like, well, you know, it's only a certain distance. Does it work? And like, yeah, I just want you to know that there's, there's <laughs> yeah, it's certain, a lot of caveats. Yeah, he's like really making excuses for himself. And you can tell that uh, Emrys is just like getting really annoyed. And the guy's like looking at him. He's like, yes, yes, I could do it. I could do it. And he's just like, oh, okay, man, dude, you're digging a grave right now with your unsure. <laughs> I love the part where he's like, uh, well, do you have an item? And he's like, well, yeah, we have some hair. And he's like, oh, well, you have hair? That's going to make everything great. If you had some urine or feces, it would be even better. Yeah, that was great. Do you have any of her feces? But they don't even <laughs> And then know he realizes who he's talking to, and he's like, oh, I I I'm sorry. And then they reveal, uh, he reveals to them that it's actually Siri, because that girl in there, if that's not Siri, they've sent someone that's not her and he said basically he knew it wasn't her the moment he looked at her and so yeah the as the reader i'm like oh dummy you know it's not her actually i suspected when it said she was clumsy and tripped because siri's not clumsy unless she's been drugged or something you know yeah, it, it, with with Dooney being a prince from Nilfgaard, do you think that there is some sort of familial connection between Emhir and Ciri, or Well, the no? thing is, when they brought that up earlier in the book, like uh, Geralt says, I think he was he had some kind of bloodline with royalty, and they're like, I don't know, and they kind of look, and they're like, I'm not sure, it doesn't look like it. That's brought up for a reason. It's yeah, not, definitely. They, it wouldn't be brought up unless that meant something. You know? Agreed. So they're they're basically telling us something. So anyway, it cuts to Siri, who she's in the middle of a desert. She's been dropped out of the sky and cracked her head on a rock, and it turns out she's in the Koroth Desert, which later we learn is called the Frying Pan. 
This chapter, you need a bottle of water next to you as you read it, because it'll make you thirsty. Oh, yeah. It, it, made, it made me feel the same way I did when I heard Codringer speak. It's like maybe that was the problem. He was just spending too much time in the frying pan. But yes, I had the uh, the same thing. It's just like after reading it, I went and ran my hand under some water just yep. to I know that it was still it there. Like, water. I need water. <laughs> and I thought this was great, but it was actually very dire for Siri because uh, she had no food or anything. And what about that part where she uh, uses the little, I forget what it was, it's a little uh, locket thing that has stuff in it, some kind of balm, and she eats it. Yeah, she like, eats all the balm. Yeah, well, one thing we did we we didn't touch on was that like when she was in that tower or whatever, she she got uh, decided to go into the portal because I, I I had missed that the first time that I read it and wasn't quite sure how she ended up in the desert, but she went through the portal in the tower and it just like put her there, which really sucks for her. Yeah. I thought it would have led to the other tower, the Tower of Gold, or the Tower of Swallows, or whatever. I thought so too, but it just ended up dropping her willy nilly into the desert. Yeah, I don't know why, but cra- remember what it said is they they kind of established like no one teleports in this area because of that portal. It screws everything up. Yeah, exactly. So maybe just crazy stuff was going on. You know, she is wandering. She's eating insects. She's eating lizard eggs. Yeah, that part was gross. We're talking about how she was like scarfing it down and had a whole bunch of yolk in her hair and everything. And I like when like, she's like, you oh. can't wait till it gets a little hotter and then scramble those eggs on a rock or something yeah. like that. So, let me rudimentary, uh, you know, uh, skillet here, and I've got like yeah. a spatula or frying pan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, aha, uh-huh, she is in the frying pan. She's the one being cooked, basically. She's in the frying pan, and her one chance to, you know, really connect the two, she doesn't with those eggs. I I was kind of disappointed. She eats them raw. The part that I remember is, you know, she ate that balm, and then she's wandering all night, and the next day she gets under a rock, and she realizes she's right back where she was. (laughs) Yeah. Which has happened before in movies when people are wandering. They're like, wait, we were here before. We're going in circles. It's kind of a, one of those moments that seems hopeless. Yeah, definitely. And Very hopeless. Using magic, she conjures up like a glowing ball to see at night. And a series- Yeah, well, she keeps like, she's constantly reassuring herself through the entire thing. She's, you know, saying like, I'm a trained witcher. I'm not going to die out here. And then she kind of forgets the idea that she's an enchantress. and yeah. uh, But then decides to start relying on the power. And what's funny is like, she even says like, uh, Geralt has probably been in worse situations than this. I'll be fine, you know? Yeah. And she's like, why haven't they come to find me? You know, are they... Yeah, she starts getting very resentful. Like, they've abandoned me. It's like, I'm sorry, sir. They have no idea where you are. Yeah, you jumped into a portal. And Geralt was pretty bad off for a while. I do wonder, like, where the hell is Yennefer? But I'm sure we'll find out in the next book. But a unicorn finds her as she's unconscious and sniffing her and stuff. I thought that was cute. The Yeah. The unicorn stuff was, was really cool, especially the part where they were trying to mutually find water together. And uh, she calls him little horse. And there was a little bit before this chapter begins about unicorns in the physiologist book that she was reading. And it was about how virgins were used to lure the unicorns. Cause unicorns like to lay their head in virgins laps and the hunters. <laughs> yeah. 
would come along and kill them so there aren't many unicorns around anymore. And they yeah, got- but the unicorns started getting wise to the idea that like older maidens were under the employ of hunters of unicorns yeah. because they were very, very smart. That was pretty cool. What's cool is they actually fall into a trap. I don't know if it's cool, but I, the imagery is cool. They fall into, you know, an antlion trap, basically. I don't know. That's what I called them when I was a kid. You know, the little things with the, the ants would fall in and then the thing at the bottom would eat them. I was thinking it was very Tremors-like to me. Like I it was picturing kind of Tremors-like. Mo- I was either picturing that or I believe, was it like Enemy Mine? <laughs> I believe. Yeah. You know, I, I think uh-huh. that might have been the movie. That that was what I was thinking. They the totally have time. giant versions of that. Though with the yes. pinchers. Have you ever seen uh-huh. Antlion? Like in real life? No, I haven't. That must be a that must not be a California thing. Yeah, it, you can I haven't seen them in a long time, but when I was a kid, you see these little indentations in the dirt and you know there's an ant lion in there. Uh an ant comes along, falls in, and you can't crawl out because they keep falling back to the bottom and the little wow. thing pulls them under. So as a kid, oh, that sounds I, terrifying. I like to drop ants in there to see it happen. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Like I gotta go. I got. I gotta go, man. <laughs> <laughs> it never worked though. Yeah. Well, I. I when I was a kid, I got a Venus flytrap, oh, uh, yeah. and I was like waiting for one of them to catch a bug, and it wasn't happening. And so I got a roly poly and put it in there. Oh no! <laughs> it was just, like too much for the Venus flytrap to handle, and it killed everything. Oh, he's like, this thing has armor. I can't penetrate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was like closed up for like six weeks or something like that. And then eventually the everything just died. It was my fault. Yeah, I always thought it'd be cool to have those like Venus flytraps all over your house. What yeah, you'd think so. In? But uh, in truth, they don't really do much. Yeah. Because they just sit there like a dumb shit waiting for something. Yeah, exactly. It's like, do something, plant. Come on. <laughs> You're nothing like that little shahars yeah i was just gonna say that's what i was thinking you know but whatever (laughs) so little horse gets poisoned poor thing yeah and uh he's not doing too well they do kill the the creature which is really cool they both uh gang up on it and he even stabs it with his horn which i thought was really cool but siri remembers that you know, you pull magical energy from things, but there's nothing there. But if she created a fire, she could pull up for fire. But unfortunately, she unlocks the power of Falka. And yeah, see, w- before in the last book, in, in Blood of Elves, um, Yennefer warns her not to do anything with fire. Do you think that this is something that every wizard is not prepared for? Or she knew that she had this whole issue with Falka and it might come up? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's something they teach in wizard school. Like, just don't mess with fire. It's scary and unpredictable, and yeah. it's very powerful. Things can uh, go haywire. You can end up burning your house down or something like that. <laughs> yes. But Siri, she sees, like, even people she loves tied to posts, like Triss, Nineke, Yari, Fabio. They're all being tortured there. She sees Yennefer with her lips cracked and Geralt covered in blood. And she's surrounded by unicorns. And yeah, well, the, the, the fire is telling her, you know, take me and we can take revenge on everyone. Everyone, you know, and so, and so it starts out that she can take revenge on the people that have caused her pain. But then she kind of comes to the horror that she can also take revenge on the people who love her as well. 
Yeah, just everybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And she denounces it all. Like, no, I don't want any of it. And yeah, well, she relinquishes the power, which is kind of crazy. And what's weird, okay, I was very confused about this part. And it's, you get this dialogue. Oh, yeah, definitely confusing. I had to listen to it probably four times because I had no idea what was going on. Like, who is talking about her right now? Siri. Basically saying she's dangerous, and the other one's saying no, she's uh, she's pure. She's she denounced the evil. She denounced the power. She's a good person, basically. Well, and also the power won't return to her. But you, did you realize in the end who was saying that? I believe it's the unicorns. It's the unicorns, yeah, because they were like whatever that unicorn's name is. I tried to remember it, but that, you oh, know, yeah. good luck. Um, he he has re- she has brought him back to us. So it's the unicorns who were, were talking about this. But yeah, I did not get that at all. So when it said she was surrounded by unicorns, I thought it was in her vision. But it Me actually too. was happening. Like they were had shown up, I guess. Right? Yes. When I first read it, I was like, who is is somebody like looking at her through a crystal ball or something? That's what I thought, too. Or I thought there was some sort of like it was like the gods or something yeah. talking about it. I was like, oh, this is going uh, in a direction I didn't realize this yeah. book would go in, but yeah, I All believe of a sudden it was this is Clash of the Titans, man. With exactly, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes that happens. You have to read it a couple times and go, "Oh, wait a second, I think I know." You know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. But Siri has gone totally blank and mute, and she's captured by these Nilfgaardian bounty hunters, I guess. Yeah, we get the the wonderful uh, stupid jerks voice again. Yeah, they're called the Trappers, and they're going to take her to Nilfgaard along with this other guy who is called uh, Sweers, Spheres or something like that. Swe- yeah, I think it was Sweers or something like that. And I love this battle. They encounter this other guy named Lord Varnigan, and he's like, "Uh oh, Spheres and Varnigan, their families are in like uh, a kind of uh, feud right now." And mm-hmm. so they just sit there and watch the guys beat the living shit out of each other. And uh, he takes out Lord Varnigan and Spheres is like mortally wounded. So they just finish him off and take Siri themselves, the trappers. Yeah. I forgot Falka. One thing that when she's talking to Falka in the fire earlier. Yeah, that was that was Falka. And repeats that Avenger... An Avenger shall be born from my blood, from the Elder Blood, a destroyer. Oh yeah, we we get that that whole part where it's like a uh, it's like a cut scene where we we get a vision of the past of Falca being burnt at the stake, right? Yeah, and basically has sworn that one of her offspring will come back and destroy them all. So it's been fore, foretold that Siri or someone that say she gives birth to someone, they will come along and. It seems like we've see, we've heard stories like this before in other stories, right? This kind of yeah, we have. But this, like I was saying before, about the idea of of this story not going in the direction that I thought it would. Like I was basically imagining Siri to be like the great hero because she's tied to Geralt and Yennefer. But like the way it's making it seem is like it's actually a bad thing that she's around. So I know it's probably going to be flipped on its head several times, but. It really does feel like kind of the downer of the series so far because we're kind of questioning whether Siri is like good or not. The fact that Geralt came into her life, I know, is going to be what causes this not to happen. Something like his destiny to be intertwined with hers, and that'll somehow 
keep everything. Keep Falka at bay. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I guess. I mean, they take her to a place called the White River, where basically Nilfgaard has taken over all these towns and stuff and renamed them. And it's pretty bad out there, I would say. Yes. It's a real time of contempt. I would I would, I would agree with you, Jason. <laughs> and so there's this other group. They're called the Trappers. They run into these guys called the Nasir. And they're there. They captured a guy named Kaylee, who's with this group called the Rats. These people are despicable. They talk about they caught Kaylee with this. He had a woman with him. And they all took turns with the woman. And then as they're, yeah. they're talking to the the main trapper guy about Siri, and they're like, what about her? And he's like, no, 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 nobody's going to touch her. I have to deliver her to Nilfgaard. And they're like, oh, come on. And uh, Siri's like, oh, my God, what have I gotten myself into here? She even tried to escape at one time, and they battered her pretty good. They make Siri feed Kaylee. Yes. And she asks the uh, the innkeeper for a knife, correct? Yeah, and he's like, get a knife from the innkeeper because my people the, are about to bust in here and I don't want to be helpless. So they, she does get a knife and sure enough, the rats show up. And basically what it establishes is these are like kids of war, right? This war yeah. has created these... Well, it's it's the direct like offspring of the time of contempt, right? It's like yeah. the uh, this is the product. What you get when times are so bad is you get basically street urchins who are incredibly deadly and really are tied to nothing but themselves because everything else has kind of failed them. So it, it's the the out or the the direct product of what happens when you have something like this time of contempt, right? Siri kind of shows off her witcher skills. She's doing pirouettes and stuff. And they're like, whoa, check this chick out. And so the rats kill everybody. And they're like, here, you can take this last guy out. And she dodges all of his hits. And they're like, you could have killed him by now. And Siri has never actually killed a man. Mm -hmm. As they're fleeing, she ends up killing her first guy. I mean, it's in her defense. They're trying to escape. But she seems kind of upset over that. She does, yeah. Well, she had the chance to even kill, you know, who was basically the boogeyman for her before, and she didn't do that. Like, she's kind of not against killing. She just doesn't want to do it, but then ends up, you know, destroying this one guy Yeah. in self-defense. The rats are Kaylee, Reef, Giesler, Spark, Missile, and the final name really throws me off. This is the way it's spelled in the book. A-S-S-E. Assy. <laughs> Assy. I, like I don't remember how it was pronounced. Yeah. How there. is, how is uh, I just, I got to hear that part of the book because I never got that far in the audio book. <laughs> when you're talking about the names, it just reminded me of when they were talking about the, um, the kids who were the, who were fathered by Dooney's dad. You know, do you oh, remember that? Yeah. What Code Ringer was saying? It was like, Rita, Blida, Tita, Sia, and Gonzalez. Yes, was like that. that was fantastic. I was like, whoa. All of a sudden, they're like, went off book for the, for the final movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so basically, they're all scarred kids from the war. And uh, they all they care about is robbing and wearing like extravagant clothing and stuff. 
And there's this really, they kind of accept her in, they do this initiation, and there's this really skeevy part here at the end that made me feel uneasy. Yeah, it was, it was very skeevy. Like, because she's finally accepted into a group of people, like she would like to be, but they even take advantage of her. Yeah, Kaylee, the dude, even though he has a girl's name, he immediately <laughs> tries to take advantage of Siri. Like, he tries to have his way with her. But she's rescued by Missile. M-I-S-T-L-E. Yeah, it was, it was Missile. She's not m- named after a projectile, but <laughs> like a mistletoe, I guess. Yeah, mistletoe. And she saves her and threatens uh, Kaylee, and he leaves. And then she starts making the moves on Siri. I'm like, this girl's 14, guys. Yeah, and then Siri just kind of relinquishes. She gives in. And then the next day, uh, she wakes up with Missile. And then she goes and has herself a cry bath. You know, she's bathing while crying, like in the river. I think it says she tries to remove what can never be removed. Yeah. Her innocence, maybe? I think so, yeah. And I was just like, because oh, come on, book. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was It was like I was saying, it's, it's kind of the downer of the, the stories, you know, because we, here we've... we've come to love Siri and everything like that. And for her to get taken advantage of, or almost get taken advantage of rescued and then get taken advantage of by another person. Like it just, I don't know. It was, it was hard to read. And I guess, I mean, basically what the book's trying to tell us is Siri's not coming out of this unscathed. In fact, no one is because it's a terrible time right now, but it just sucks because we care so much about Siri. And all exactly. We, all we want is for Geralt, Siri, and Yennefer to be together. Yeah, I know. We want the picture. Well, even um, Yennefer talks about it, you know. He brings it up when, when she's saying, like, you would like it if we lived together on a farm and Siri would come and 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 see us, you know, and would... Uh, you, you remember that part when they're together yeah, in the they're bedroom? And it's bed. like this... The view of what we all want for them, which we know we're not going to get because why would they write a story about it? But still, like, he's playing with us. He knows that that's what we want for these characters, but it's just not going to happen. Maybe eventually, but we're going to have to go through quite a bit to get there. Yeah, we're going to have to go through quite an ordeal. And I can basically kind of see what's going to happen is a Siri kind of survived on her own in the desert. And now she's got this group to belong to. She's going to become like this street urchin kid robbing people. And it even ends with a soldier reporting that the rats have now attacked and there are now seven of them instead of six. Which is awesome because do you remember uh, Yarp and Ziggring talking about how seven was like the perfect number, wasn't it? Was it oh, se- he yeah. was saying that seven was the perfect number for a, a crew? Oh no, maybe he said six was. Did he say six? Ah, that's too. Well, then it still it still gets in there, you know, because now she's got she's too many. I don't I mean, know. There's some sort of tie in there. It does I have mean, to believe there is. No, I like that. It does mean there's one too many. And you reminded me of one of my favorite lines in the book. When Riance is chasing Siri, she turns around and flips him the bird. And it says <laughs> yeah. a gesture she learned from Yarp and Zigrin. I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty sweet. I was like, oh, yeah, great callback there. And it's funny because there's even a moment when they first, uh, her, uh, when Yennefer and Siri first arrive to town, uh, to Gore's Valen, and she sees a bunch of uh, dwarves, it makes her think of uh, Yarp and Zigrin. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. she's yeah. still searching for him she's going to kick his ass one day 
But uh, so the the question I have uh, that I'm wondering if you thought, do you think that now that she's with the rats and is like the acrobat and everything like that, and and kind of the uh, the new rat, do you think she's killing people now, or what, what what do you think is happening? I think she's going to become one of them. So yeah, it's going to happen. I think so too. I think I'm afraid uh, that when uh, if she ever finds Geralt again, he's he's not going to recognize her. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. The other thing that we we didn't really touch on was the idea that she tried to grab the power again, and it wasn't there because she had relinquished it when she when the whole fire thing happened. That's she, right. So she doesn't have her connection to the power anymore. Her, her ability to use the magic is gone. So maybe that means her debilitating visions are gone. Maybe stuff like that. Oh, and that's another thing. Like, what's funny is this soldier. He's talking to his commander, and he's like. You know, we're still searching for the girl. Uh, but anyway, the rats, they now have seven. There used to be six. And he goes, wait, maybe the seventh one is actually this girl. Don't be insane. That's no, not No, no. We're going to find them and hang them all. And that's basically the end of the book. And yeah. we, where is Jennifer? And is Geralt on his way to Nilfgaard? Yeah, to go rescue some, like, random girl. Yeah. What a big waste of time that'll be. <laughs> exactly. Aha, I'm here. I'm here to say, wait, you're not serious. Dude, what the hell, man? 4,000 miles? We spent the entire book getting here. (laughs) Yeah, I certainly hope that's not the case. (laughs) That would be a disaster. There was one book in the Wheel of Time series where, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but it was like book nine, where it could have been like, uh, the entire book could have been summed up by as like the main character just wait for something to happen and it like never does until the next book and i'm like what the heck man oh man yeah well what's funny the way this book ends it doesn't have an ending where like wow oh, what a satisfying ending it's like no i need to keep reading right now yeah exactly i i completely and totally agree with you this is just a chapter in the series is what it feels like it just like i gotta keep going and the thing i imagine is at one time someone read this and there was n- no next book to read yet. They had to wait like a year or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sucks for them, but not for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, did I, t- I told you about that uh, when I was reading the Wheel of Time series, right? Um, there's like, I-, I believe there's like 14 books in, the- in that-, that book, right? And wow. I get to book 12, which is supposed to be the last book. And uh, Robert Jordan had died, right? And the last book was like, okay, uh, well, we're finally going to get it wrapped up here. There was only 12 books out. And then there's a, a, like a, a preface to it by Brandon Sanderson who took it over. And he was like, oh yeah. Um, if I were to make this book be the last book of the series, it would be like 7,000 pages. So this is book one of the final three books. And I was like, I was supposed to find out what happens at the end, at the end of this book. Now I have to wait another four years. This is so (laughs) awful. It was, yeah, the giant, the the most giant literary letdown ever. Well, I want to say this. I created a ETL Witcher book club page with all of our episodes in one place at witcherbookclub.etlandfill.com and also in that very place is a link to iTunes where I now have the ETL Witcher Book Club it has its own feed on iTunes so people can go there 
And if that's cool. Anybody who's listening to this, if you want to go review us on iTunes, that would be awesome to get some reviews. There's already one review there. Is there really? Is it yours? <laughs> That'd be hilarious. No, it's by it's by someone named Byron. It says, I read the Witcher books last year and listening to this podcast where Jason and Ross tackle all the books in order is a delight. Their joy for the material is infectious. They illuminate details I've forgotten about or missed in my first readings and offer insight to the characters that deepen the story for me. If you love these books or are just diving into them for the first time, this is a fun companion to keep you immersed in the world of The Witcher. Is that not like a great review right off the bat? That's awesome because I don't even know Byron. So that makes me like very happy, you know? I mean, if it was Adam who wrote that, I'd be like, yeah, whatever. Uh, he, he knows me, but I, thank you, Byron. That's awesome. I've never been reviewed before by anything, so thank you. That's really cool. Really cool. It, it inspires me. And you know what's so funny is right before we're going to record each of these, this is now the fourth one, I am so unsure of myself. And I'm like, I'm not. Yeah, me too, because I'm like, uh, I don't know if I'm going to remember any of this. I don't remember this book. I don't even know who these characters are. I don't know what's happening. I, I got nothing. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I do kind of remember this. Uh, yeah, and then the entire time I'm like, I'm going to refer to her as Peter Falka, and then everybody's going to make fun of me. Uh, uh, yeah, but I'm going to reference Remington Steel right off the bat. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm not even going to know really what Remington Steel is, but I'm going to try to pretend about it that I do. Yeah, I get it. Good times, man. I always have so much fun talking to you about these books. Yeah, they, they are a lot of fun. I'm very, I'm very happy to be uh, continuing to do this, and I'm very happy for you to get that monkey off your back of three episodes. That's right. If people don't realize that I once did a Dark Tower book club and never did a fourth episode, never covered Wizard and Glass. So we have now done four episodes of the Witcher book club, the time of contempt. And I'm going to give you a little trivia question here. What is the next book called that we need to read? Are you asking me? Yes. <laughs> oh, the, um, uh, uh, man, the, uh, the, the, the black sun, the black, did sun. I get it? Uh, no, <laughs> the black here. hole sun. The next book is called Baptism of Fire. Oh, I knew that. That was right on the tip of my tongue. Of fire! Looks like the remaining books we have to read are a lot thicker than the previous books. Uh, <laughs> oh, are they really? Okay. But this one actually isn't that many pages. Let's see. I'm just going to, you know, look ahead. 343 pages. But dude, we'll blow through this thing. Yeah, we'll be fine. So our next book is Baptism of Fire. And guys, we will, when we're done with that book, we will meet you here in the same spot and talk all about it. I hope that other people are digging this because I'm loving the Witcher universe. And I hey, we know Byron is. That's pretty cool, right? Very awesome, man. So guys, thank you so much. Ross, as always, thank you so much for joining me reading these books. We're having a good time, right? Yeah, I'm having a great time. And we actually have no idea what's going to happen next in the story. Yeah, it's it's um, it's like I said. Every time I think that I know something is going to happen, I, I don't. 
Uh, so it always ends up kind of getting flipped on its ear, which is exactly what I talked about when we were talking about The Last Wish, the idea of him playing, you know, on cliches and, and making you think it's going one way, but then turning it on its head and going the other way. He's continuing to do that throughout the entire series, and it's incredibly satisfying. So I'm, even though I am down because this whole book was a bit of a downer, I still am really, really, really enjoying the series and can't wait to find out what happens. Me too. More humor, please. I need to laugh. <laughs> yes, I do. I, I need the, uh, the, the Torqua, uh, something with him and Dandelion in there, hopefully in the next book, so I don't pull a, uh, uh, yeah, so I just don't end up going into a deep-seated depression. Dandelion, Torqua, Doodoo, and Yarp and Zigrin all in the same scene. Yeah, and beanpole. We got to bring. Oh, we have a beanpole reference too. <laughs> yeah, I was saying that to you. Like somebody is always referenced as being a beanpole in every book, but there. Was I actually... have no idea what a beanpole is, but um, you know, whatever. It's cool. I got to Google it. <laughs> yeah, but there was actually a guy referred to as beanpole in Bounds of Reason, which is funny. Beanpole. Yep. <laughs> On beanpole. <laughs> What did you think of the voice of Finn? <laughs> Finn? Yeah. I, I thought it was it was good. I thought his, his voice... But, I mean, compared to the voice for Cudringer, I, it, it almost made me wonder if he had to record those separately. Like, it would be so difficult to have a conversation in the one voice and then do it in the other one. Um, After Cudringer, I could but, see him saying, Dude, I need a week off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My voice exactly. is destroyed. Well, Ross, uh, thank you so much for joining me again. I can't wait to read the next book, and we're going to record this again at the same spot, same time. What do you think? Sounds good to me. I'm, I'm ready to start the next one. All right, guys. We'll see you next time. Later, Ross. Bye, everybody. Podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com.